You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. We gotta hire a professional. Does anyone here kill people for money? I'm gonna be your murder consultant. Word. You wanna pull off a brilliant murder? It's not a look like it's an accident. Ah! You gotta be smart. It's gotta be worth what? 15,000? I feel like everything's gonna work out. Look how fast I'm picking out this yeah. crap, you know? You I'm wanna, moving like super fast. I can't even feel my nose. Find them vulnerable. Uh, peanuts? That was a peanut butter sandwich. Are you not good with peanuts? Whoa, whoa. Look at this. My boss, the worth planning to kill, is dying in front of you when you saved his life? Well, that sounds bad when you say it like that. I was surveilling your boss. She's incredibly Don't talk about how hot she is. She makes herself a little snack, a popsicle, a banana, and finally, a hot dog. And eating him in that weird order, that's not a proper meal. It's cold to hot. I can crush you anytime I want. Explain why you doing 61 in a 25 zone. I was drag racing in a Prius. I don't win a lot. Hello, everybody. We are back again for another week of Above the Title, your premier Colin Farrell podcast, uh, leading into our kind of journey into the state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Connor. I'm Colt. This was a bad idea. <laughs> this was a bad today. idea. This yeah. whole thing was just a bad idea. Yeah, I'm Cole's so mad at both of us. Cole, I don't want to do this. Cole, during this stretch of movies we've been on, feels like Sir Ronan in, uh, <laughs> in man, I can't even back. remember the name, in the way no back, way. <laughs> walking through uh, wherever the hell they are. Where are they? Afghanistan? When she I don't fucking remember. Something uh, like that. D- Dan, for context, um, w- this is now the seventh straight movie in a row that I have disliked. And like the one that I liked last is like barely a thumbs up like this is the fucking desert is this which, which one was one? the last one that you barely i up i would give a, a a solid like six out of ten it's okay thumbs up to parnassus oh yes a movie i think dan have you seen the imaginary of dr parnassus no i've heard of it though it's okay the last connor we can agree i know you for some reason insist the way back is good but we can both agree that like the last real exciting movie to talk about was in Bruges. I enjoyed the way back. I I understood your complaints it. about <laughs> it to make some a good extent. Case for it. Um, but I do think yeah. it's a good movie. I don't think it's an interesting movie to talk about. It's not. Uh, but yeah. Connor, be- before we introduce our guest, uh, do you know what this is? Though this is very important. What this episode? This episode. I've had this in the back of my mind for six months now. And I was wondering if it was going to be the case. And then the strike guaranteed that it was the case. Uh, uh, this is the halfway point. Oh, no, yeah. I did not know that. We are we are halfway through the Colin Farrell filmography. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it at this feels point, like they're... we're at the low, the lowest of does it get lower after this? I, yeah, it this is the again. fucking wasteland. Because like yeah. I was when we started this, I was like, Colin Farrell has 
I don't know if we've ever like actually laid this out on the pod. Maybe we have Colin Farrell right now in this nebulous state of sags on strike and no one's working. Colin has three projects in some degree of production. He's got two TV shows mm-hmm. and a Todd Solon's movie. I, um, I do believe one of the television shows is just finished and maybe yeah, not and post, think, maybe it's not finished in post-production, but yeah. for, and for all think, intents and purposes, Colin's work on the show is finished. Yeah, but there, yeah. nothing's getting released if you can't have him promote it. And no, I they're think, definitely not going to. Did he shoot the Todd Solon's thing yet? Which I'm that very one, excited for. That one I have no idea. Um, I would assume they shot it because the casting announcement was over two years ago. Well, that's Um, why I was going to say, I want to say he probably shot it because it took so long in between the release of the Batman and him actually beginning shooting on the penguin show, um, which I, which I think they hadn't finished photography. They have not finished penguin. Well, this was, this was my point was like, when we started the show in January, it was like, very possible too likely that we were going to have to tack three one to three episodes onto the end of the 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 show right because all three of those things could have come out and now all three of those things are not coming out before we hit the banshees episode yeah i mean we'll still cover them don't get us we'll cover them them when they come out but we thought that possibly before we move on to our next season of this show that we would have to tack additional projects onto the and there's no way that's happening now i don't Uh, believe so anyway we have a guest this week uh dan moore dan do you want us to say where you're from Sure, I'm in Boston, Mass. At the moment, that's not what I meant. But <laughs> I oh, guess that's <laughs> institutional affiliation. That's Do you want to plug oh, anything I'm an, about I'm an adjunct. I'm an adjunct at Emerson College, and I teach classes on media histories and a seminar on the films of Ken Loach. So, so he's here to I talk do. about the worst, uh, the the decline of the studio comedy. Hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, I've hey, been hey, waiting yeah. for this for a long time. Look, this was your original pitch to me and because i'm so disorganized i've like fallen through the cracks on the other ones i was supposed to do i was originally supposed to do alexander which also ranks as one of the worst ones uh, oh there's worse ones than alexander cassandra's dream which isn't that bad it's kind of weird and interesting but kind of bad uh bad but this is just i mean it's i'm, I'm not going to be as hostile because i want to hear your thoughts later on but can i jump something in well about Cassandra yeah. Stream is the other like murder plot movie, which I forgot. This I had I had true. seen I, this week. We were talking about the uh, is it twenty eleven the twenty eleven studio comedy horrible bosses. Uh, Seth and, Gordon, uh, a Seth Gordon picture. Yes, Dan was supposed to come and uh, speak on our Alexander Pod, which may be our second worst recording that we've done. Uh, and he was also supposed to come and talk about Cassandra's dream, which I find interesting because it's the yeah. also, it's the other Colin Farrell movie that we've covered so far that is about a murder plot, which I was thinking to myself, like, I had seen this movie in theaters in 2011. I completely forgot this movie it was about them trying to kill their bosses. Like, in my head, my memory of this movie was that it was like an office space type deal where it's just like oh work sucks like i hate work and then when i started watching it yesterday i and i got far enough in that the murder plot became apparent i was like holy crap i did not remember that this is what this movie was about it's insane and also colin dies in all three of those movies yeah 
That's well, true. Farrell's yeah, name. spoiler alert. Colin Farrell beefs it in this. I I had seen this movie before, but I was like just looking at like the plot synopsis of Horrible Bosses 2, which I've never seen and will never watch, to be very clear. You could not pay me to watch fucking Horrible Bosses 2. Um, there's no way it's better than this, right? Well, that was it's the question I was one. going to ask going <laughs> in. Are you now going to watch Horrible Bosses Fuck 2? no. Um I watched but it I last night. Like, it's better than the first one. I was really the plot yeah. synopsis. I can't right, explain well, why. At the later end, on, you'll have to talk a bit about one. why because I'm keen to hear. But well, I, there I is just... something interesting. There is something interesting about the second one that I would like to bring up at some point concerning Colin, who's not in the sure. second movie. But um, this is what I was saying: is I was just reading the the Wikipedia plot synopsis because I was like, just I was curious what the plot of Horrible Busts Two was, and I was like, weird that Colin's the only one who doesn't come back. And then I watched this movie, and it's like, oh right, Colin's barely in the <laughs> first one because he fucking yeah. beefs it halfway through the movie. Which is another thing I completely forgot because I, I completely was, forgot. I for some reason had assumed that Colin was in the second one, even though again I had seen this movie before and knew that he dies in this movie. And uh, I was texting Cole like, "Oh, you know, we could push our Donald Sutherland talk at our gym, who also dies in this movie, by the yes. way." <laughs> Spoiler report. I was like, "We could push our Donald Sutherland and Jamie Fox talk until Horrible Bosses too." And then Cole's like. Have you looked who's not in Horrible Bosses 2? And my response was, oh, Donald Sutherland's not in Horrible <laughs> Bosses 2. I just had completely assumed it for some reason. Um, I mean, I knew Colin wasn't in it because I'm the one of us who does the scheduling. So I'm like, have the running list of like, what are the next 10 movies we're going to cover? And I knew Horrible Bosses 2 would have slotted in there had he been in it. It would have come out. It would have been right in between, ooh, bad year for Colin, would have been right in between Winner's Tale and the Miss Julie remake that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, man. Did you know uh, this, Dan? There's you a know Miss Julie remake that there's a Miss wasn't Julie remake. or it was planned and it got canceled? It, no, it's real. It's a Miss Julie remake. Do you know who Colin directed Farrell, it, Dan? Colin Farrell and oh, Jessica um, I do know it's Liv Ullman. Liv yes. Ullman directed yeah. a fucking Miss Julie remake, which is wild. Uh, we'll talk about it. Um, oh, can you can you cover the plot of this one so that I can briefly, just briefly, explain why the second one is better? Yes, but first, one is, yeah. I just want to I just want to get some groundwork out. Connor, you said you saw this in theaters when it came out. Yeah, way back. Had you watched it since? No, haven't okay. even. Did you about like it in 2011? I don't believe I liked it um, every time I got I saw it with a buddy of mine. And I remember every time we would get into his car, he would drop the seat like Charlie Day <laughs> listening to the Ting Tings and uh, like bounce up and down singing that song. Um, so that apparently lived on past this film for us. But I okay. could not remember anything else about this film, nor do I think I liked it. In the time Dan, when did you see this? I saw it when I was a freshman in high school on demand with my parents. And I remember my dad 45 minutes in being like, this is a stupid movie. I'm mad that we committed to renting this. And then at the end, I was like, oh, that was mildly amusing. And I haven't thought about it since a few months ago when this was put on the table. So it's happily kind of vanished from my memory. I... Saw this movie when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. I, I like got it on DVD. I got it from a fucking red box, probably in like October of 2011. Um, 
I watched it then. I thought it was awful. I had not watched it again till this morning. Um, I guess I'm the only one who thinks about this movie constantly uh, because I do think about horrible bosses fairly often because I do have a theory. You are insane. I think this is the movie that killed the theatrical studio comedy. That's absurd. And it's well, successful. I'll explain why yeah. at the end of the episode. But this whenever, is a long conversation that we need. To when, right, right, whenever sure. we're talking about what happened to the theatrical studio comedy, I, there were a few movies that presage it, but yes. I think this is ultimately the movie that set us down the path of comedies only go to streaming. Um, even though it's a hit, like it's, it's yeah, because it's a hit. That's the I, problem. I understand what you're saying. I think the few movies that come before that lead directly into this one are much, much, much more influential. I think, I think this crystallizes that we are on. I think, I think this is the one that like locks it in. Do you get what I'm saying, Connor? I don't know. That, like if, this pulls, this pulls for more successful movies that like, kind of like edge towards the death of yeah. the comedy but this movie like just taking all of that into one package and being a hit I, I i don't know if i disagree with you but the way i think of it is like perhaps this is the first product of yes the like second sure. phase like those movies that we will probably refer to at some point are like an initial phase oh, of the yeah. decline of the studio comedy and this one is like the initial product of where we end up before they all get pushed onto streaming. I mean, services. if we're if we're if we're getting into it, let's let's talk about it. I, I want I, you I to can you re well first <laughs> let Dan say what he wants yeah. to say, and then if you can recap the plot of this real yes. quick. Yeah. Well, so the question I have and kind of clarification, and it's an interesting point because it's successful, it's partially responsible for this death. Are you saying it's kind of like the postmodern mashup project product of just all the comedy elements that came before and kind of packaged it into an unoriginal form and was kind of co-opted by streaming in that way. It's more that, you know, the American studio comedy has and always had gone in cycles, right? Like you can divvy it up into eras. And I think this movie marks more so than The Hangover, which I think is the movie that people would naturally want to point to. But this movie is the movie that I think is ultimately cashing in on The Hangover. Mm. This is the movie that, in my mind, the marks the to have. end yeah. of the Apatow era, the, the Apatow frat pack era that defines the previous decade and starts everything that's going to run through the 2010s it just feels like people are constantly trying to remake horrible bosses even if consciously they think they're trying to remake the hangover and that includes the hangover sequels i think have more in common with this movie than they do and the other one that i think you can like is the obvious forebearer is pineapple express because everyone takes the wrong idea from pineapple express which is that action movies comedies need to be their action movies or thrillers like that is what kills the the american studio comedy right is that budgets get inflated 
because they all need to have action scenes in them because they need to be sold overseas, which then in turn makes them more expensive, which means the action scenes. It's like a cyclical thing, too. But I think the like slick cynicism of this movie and it's like kind of soulless Hitchcock riffing and very casual like deaths and sadism to it. Like there, there is an earnestness to a movie like Pineapple Express that is void in this movie. And when I watch a movie like Office Christmas Party, mm. right, which is really just like, oh, we're 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 three years away from all this shit going away. Which also is a movie starring that is, Jason Bateman. No. Also and starring Jennifer Bateman, Anderson. also starring Aniston, a movie that has too many movie stars in it, which is another problem that this thing does, where like every role needs to be played by an A-lister. A movie that has random action scenes feels like no one on set was ever having fun. I look at this movie kind of just crystallizing this antiseptic joke-free mold that's just about stars vaguely relating to a humorous thriller concept in a way that is like pulling from The Hangover, right, Connor? Like, yes, yeah. almost structurally, there's the mystery element of the hangover, but there's a looseness. Even beyond that, the hangover, the, hangover. The, the archetype of the characters of the hangover relate to this yes. film in the same way that the archetypes of the characters and friends are like completely remolded for a show like How I Met Your Mother. Yes. It's it's mm. it's a very similar type of um, repackaging that's happening but, here. But there's a looseness to... The 2000s, the, the comedies of the 2000s, right? And part of that is a bad thing because they're so improv heavy. Yeah. Horrible bosses, there's is nothing like that. This no, is this very improv does, but it's not loose. It's very edited down to the bone. You know, it's so plotty. Uh, there's no room for spontaneity to burst, even in a movie like The Hangover, which is so sloppy, right? Yeah. This just to me feels like this is patient zero of everything that went wrong with comedies in the past 10 years. And just that it was so successful meant that it was like a tone to be replicated. And that tone sucks so bad that people stopped going to see comedies in the theaters. Yeah. Right. To like, be clear, this movie cost between nothing. 35 and $37 million, which is shockingly not a lot. Low. And for made a movie with over six, 200 million dollars yeah. for yeah. for a movie with six names above the title right like yes yes yeah in the year if, 2010 probably was when it yeah was even being if made. it's uh, yeah. even if it's a mix of your three proper leads are kind of up and comers you can get them for cheap and your three like big names the three antagonists are in a career slump so you can mm. also get them for cheap like $35 million is still a fucking coup for a movie with six names on the poster. And, and that's not likely, fucking counting Jamie Foxx, right? It's like, not counting, I'm not Jamie, counting Fox. Jamie Fox. But what I was going to say is you mo when you watch this movie, you're like, okay, they had a, a quarter of a day with Donald Sutherland. They yes. like literally had like four hours on set with Donald Sutherland and they had maybe a whole day with Jamie Foxx. The, the, the Colin Farrell makeup movie. was like the actual process of putting the makeup on Colin Farrell was too expensive to give him more than like three days. Yeah. Like that's what you're looking at when you look at this movie. All right. Fucking horrible bosses. Uh, <laughs> 2011 film. Let me just pull up the details on this picture. 
I, I'm just, I think this is the worst movie we've talked about, Connor. I'm sorry. Look at the I'm filmography of the director. Do I have to do it again? That's not very I still... oh, I'll, I'll talk about Seth. I'll talk about fucking Seth Gordon, the most overrated hack of to, to like blow up in the past 25 <laughs> I didn't years. realize Baywatch was overrated. I thought most No, no, no. It's not that. Baywatch might be worse than this. Um it's uh, not Have you both seen Baywatch? I yeah, have. I saw Baywatch in the fucking I also don't theater. remember much about Baywatch. That movie is terrible. So it gave Seth... us Jack Zac Efron, so like at no, least no, it, it gave, gave us was... something. That was the apex of his eating disorder, and he's like talked a lot about how awful oh, that was. Okay, like, I feel bad. I not... didn't. I did not know that that oh, uh, that he, uh, like, had felt that way about as... that movie. Sorry, sorry. Whenever so people are like, yeah, go. Is Baywatch trying to do a similar thing in tone as uh, Horrible Bosses, where it's essentially trying to be an action comedy mix that you've been that you talked about Cole that have yes. been so prevalent for the models of studio comedies over the past few years yes but it more so is trying to be 21 Jump Street okay. but 21 Jump Street it's really, trying, really trying to, to be, be 21 but 21 Jump Street is in a way trying to be horrible bosses but like sillier because 21 Jump Street people forget how violent the first 21 Jump Street is like that mm-hmm. is a movie where people get like brutally killed as as a comedic runner. And I think that Rob Riggle rooted... gets his dick shot off. Rob Riggle gets his dick shot off. I think <laughs> that's all rooted in how like anti-human this movie is. No. So Seth Seth Gordon, uh as a as a feature film director. Who's the director of this of Horrible Bosses? Who's the director of Horrible Bosses made Four Christmases, the Vince Vaughn Reese Witherspoon rom com, which probably sucks. Bad. This movie, Bad. awful. Identity Thief could not pay me to watch. Bad. Watch I've it. seen it. <laughs> Baywatch, terrible. Bad. Um, and then his he's got back in action coming out, which is the Jamie Foxx Cameron Diaz movie. This Cameron Diaz coming out of retirement. Did they uh, ever finish shooting that one? They that's did the one where Jamie Foxx had his um medical emergency. Oh, they, they didn't finish shooting it. Yeah. You know what? It looks like body doubles filled in for him, so I bet they have to do some reshoots when this. Oh my god, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so bad. But but when I say Seth Gordon is an overrated hack, those movies, this like admittedly very successful career as like a summer programmer, studio comedy director, is not what Seth Gordon is actually best known for. Seth Gordon is actually best known for his brief early career as a documentary filmmaker Mm. where Seth Rogen made the movie, the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Now here's the thing about the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. One, it sucks shit. It's terrible. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's ass. And years ago, I can't remember at this point. It, it, it looks like a student film Two. If you want to talk about influence, every King single of Kong Netflix killed the American documentary. <laughs> every, yeah, okay. Oh my god, yeah, like yeah, it, every it every single Netflix style, like yeah, where it would be a topic, like oh, a Netflix film about all the ET Atari games that are buried somewhere, and people just click on it because the topics of interest, and it's the same kind of horrible b-roll oriented sports film that bums that just kind of bums me out and that's a whole other podcast though they're all stitched together like like vox videos with graphics like floating across the screen and and things like that that's all the fucking king of kong is is like 
like obviously there were like kind of cutesy documentaries about weird subcultures before the King of Kong. But it's exactly what you said, Dan. It's like the idea that, that you you then append like a sports movie narrative onto these things that all these movies that follow have done. It would be like a sanitization of like the quirky documentaries of like a Herzog or Errol Morris who yes. actually have a weirdness but love for the people they're doing that really shows in their filmmaking and it i don't know it just feels less sanitized it feels like it can still love the characters but also make them uncomfortable to experience and kind of be around in a way whereas with this it's just like oh they're Cute as a button, and I remember the villain gamer who was like just such a stereotype. Billy Mitchell. Yeah, I I definitely watched a movie that is very much that is actually like kind of okay called Man vs Snake, uh, which is about like endurance arcade gaming. Uh, that is very much like following in the King of Kong's shoulders. Mm. But that movie's just funny because Billy Mitchell shows up in that one too, and he's like a nice guy. Like, like, because he's clearly playing up the heel act in um, fucking King of Kong. Um, I just discovered something that I need to tell you guys that's going to make you fucking like, I think you in particular, Dan, fucking flip. Um, I just need to verify this before. So give me a second. Yep. Okay. Do you know who Seth Gordon's mentor was? The person who got Seth Gordon into documentary filmmaking? Are they also a documentary filmmaker? Oh, yeah. Well, they're not just a documentary filmmaker. I'm just Is asking it? because, like, yeah, they're, I was they're wondering one if of you were going to be like, it was Brett Ratner who, like, asked it him. It was to Barbara Koppel. Wow. <laughs> one of the greatest wow. living documentarians. Yeah. He was the cinematographer on her Dixie Chicks movie. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Barbara Koppel, what have you done? So he started. Well, he started as a film. He started like as a cinematographer. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he started just like working on documentary shoots in a variety of capacities. Okay. Um, it looks like he edited some stuff too. Like he's just popping around. Oh, he fucking cut Cry Wolf. That's insane. Um, have you seen Cry Wolf? No. Oh, it's like a pseudo slasher from two thousand five. A very strange movie. Um, okay, the plot of Horrible Bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Seth Gordon. Fuck this movie. I don't want to do this. All right. Horrible Bosses, 2011 film, directed by Seth Gordon, written by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. I'm not going to hold it that much against them. Uh, we'll talk about it. Um, produced by Brett Ratner and Jay Stern. One of Ratner's early production credits. I don't know if you saw this, Connor. Yeah, I did. This yeah. is this is one of the few movies made by Rat Entertainment, which is his first company that he quickly folds and reforms as Rat Pack, which becomes this like quiet secret major player in Hollywood until he gets. You know who was one of the key players in Rat Pack? Who? Stephen Munchen, the Trump. Yep. I did know that, of course. <laughs> or um, was um... Rat Pack, man. You want to know like what fucking Brett Ratner's? like fingers how much in hollywood look at the list of movies that rat pack funded it's insane all right horrible bosses stars jason bateman charlie day jason sudeikis jennifer aniston colin farrell Colin spacey donald sutherland jamie fox julie bowen pj Byrne, wendell pierce ron white Lindsay sloan um 
We're going to talk about Kevin Spacey. Um, we do need God. to talk about Kevin Spacey. All right. We try to get through this because there's a lot of setup and then very little plot. Um, Sudeikis, Bateman, and Day play three best friends. All three of them have horrible bosses. Uh, Bateman works at a finance firm. His boss is Kevin Spacey, who's just this petty tyrant who delights in tormenting him. Uh, Charlie Day is a dental hygienist who works for Jennifer Aniston, who is blatantly sexually harassing him and trying to rape him. Um, and Jason Bateman works at a chemical company. He actually has a pretty good boss, played by Donald Sutherland. But when Sutherland dies, the company is handed over to Sutherland's cokehead, party monster son, played by Colin Farrell in a fat suit. Um, all three of these men hate their bosses and they decide to hire a hitman. Uh, they find a criminal named motherfucker Jones, uh, played by Jamie Foxx to kill all three of these bosses. Uh, Jones will not do it, but advises them on how to do it and basically pitches them on the plot of strangers on a train, telling them to each kill one of the other person's bosses so that there will not be anything tracing them back to the murder, which is not actually how the plot also of Strangers not on a Train the goes. Plot of Strangers on a Train. Yeah. yeah, and 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 misses the whole point of the Strangers on a Train scheme. That they're strangers. So the three men get up into hijinks. Thank you, Connor. The three men get up <laughs> into hijinks, um, like trying to figure out how they're going to kill these guys. In doing so, a series of events lead Kevin Spacey to believe that his wife is cheating on him with Colin Farrell. He then proceeds to go murder Colin Farrell. Um, Jason Bateman is implicated in this murder and is arrested by the police for doing it. So the three men decide that they're going to blackmail Kevin Spacey into admitting to the crime. The blackmails goes wrong. There's a huge car chase. Kevin Spacey ends up framing them for his attempted murder. And it looks like he's going to get away with it. When, <laughs> how do I describe this? Um, Jason Bateman's GPS is Jason Sudeikis' yeah. GPS is live updated by a dude who works in an Indian call center who records every conversation they have and records Kevin Spacey admitting to the murder and then framing them for his attempted murder. So then he ends up going to jail and they decide to blackmail Jennifer Aniston so she'll stop molesting charlie day and everyone goes home happy this is fu- movie fucking sucks it really fucking <laughs> sucks i fucking hate this movie it sucks oh boy dan yeah, how do you we... feel about this movie so is this our review or just kind of brief opinions just brief opinion um i mean when i saw it i thought it was mildly amusing now i i'm hard pressed to hate it as much as cole but it's just <laughs> so bland that um i mean the jokes for me are just i'm i'm fine with politically incorrect or black comedy but go black like the jokes here are so tame and just kind of throw away like vague racist sexist and homophobic jokes that i just find it's just very stale to me and i think i don't know the actors are all fine but we'll, we'll talk more in specifics but overall it's like it makes it's like daddy's home or something like that from that era. It just you uh you never directed little, Daddy's Home. Sean Anders. Who what else did Sean Anders direct? Connor, you got this for me? Horrible bosses too, boy. Horrible bosses too. Wow. Yeah. That Daddy's home. 
never seen the Daddy's Home movies. I am I am constantly intrigued by Sofia Coppola's. Can like, I give stated... you a brief funny anecdote about it? Sure. With Daddy's Home too, it was shot in the area where I grew up, so I did like a mini Tom Anderson L.A. plays it self self style review on Letterboxd about the geographic inconsistencies <laughs> of the film and the locations, like when they go down in this comedic bit on like a sled i'm like that's actually not the hill for sledding there that's the ski hill they're using it as a for comedic exaggeration it wasn't one of the prouder moments of my life that i spent that much time thinking about it but hey man you gotta do what you gotta do connor have i ever given you my connor's writer workshop punch up on daddy's home too that would make that movie like (laughs) twice as good but you haven't seen it. But I haven't seen it. But I just know I'm right, and this is actually why I didn't see it. Oh, we need a theme I, like, song. We need a theme so song. So immediately clocked. So the premise of Daddy's Home is that Colin Farrell's like a tough biker guy, and he has kids nope, with not Colin Farrell. Sorry, Mark sorry. Wahlberg. Mark yeah. Wahlberg. I, in my brain, I saw Mark Wahlberg's face. Wahlberg's like a tough biker guy. He has kids with a woman who since remarried. The new stepdad is like a dork played by Will Ferrell. Right? Yeah. And the premise of Daddy's Home 2 is now their dads have come to visit. And Mark Wahlberg's dad is like a tough dude played by Mel Gibson. And Will Ferrell's dad is like a soft dork played by John Lithgow. Swap the dads. It's 100% funnier if Wahlberg's dad is the nerd and Will Ferrell's dad is the cool guy. Right? Like you're leaving comedy on the table. That is why I never saw Daddy's Home 2. Because I remember seeing that trailer and there's that shot of Lithgow and Gibson coming down. And I was like, oh, the punchline is going to be they're going to cross in front of each other and go to the other guy. And they didn't do it. And I'm like, Sofia Coppola, you're a fucking moron. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. Did you guys know that she said those are the best movies of the decade? Yeah, yeah. And she I wasn't that. joking. No, she wasn't. I will say this, though. Daddy's Home 2, I believe, is better than the first Daddy's Home. Sure. You've seen both of them, Dan. I've seen both of them, sadly. Um, Maybe not sadly, because they're so forgettably kind of bland. Like, the first one, just feel, it's almost too mean, but it's also, at the same time, too bland, where in the second one, it's just goofy kind of light screwball antics over kind of silly materials, like, oh... Who gets to turn up the AC? Who gets to pick the temp of the heater in our vacation rental home? Or it's like, I, the okay, geography thing doesn't make sense too because the first one, they're in like New Orleans, I think, because they go to a New Orleans MLB game. But in the second one, they're in like New England where I grew up. So I think it's, I mean, the second one's not even really trying, which makes it somewhat more enjoyable. And I, I, I'm a Will Ferrell. There's not a New Orleans baseball team, buddy. Yeah, I was about to say. No, they were at the basketball. 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 Oh, okay. I said basketball. You said, ba- you said baseball. Just remember there was the whole sequence where he drunkenly embarrasses. Never Dude, seen I haven't it. seen the movie. Okay. <laughs> oh, did my God. Guys the... ever see, did you, have you guys ever see Instant Family? No. His follow-up it's, to the Daddy's Home movies? Is that another Wahlberg? Yeah. Yeah. But that's no, like a sweet it, family but... melodrama where like Mark Wahlberg and who's the wife? Rose Byrne, uh, Rose Byrne, like adopt like three orphan siblings, which is something that Sean Anders did in real life. Uh, which good on you, Sean Anders. That's so like that's like his. Um, it would be like his 
auteurist studio yeah. comedy that works people, a bit better because it comes from his story. Yeah. People liked that one. I never saw it, but people liked that one. It's got a really good cast. Isabella Merced's in it. Uh, I'm always rooting for Isabella Merced, even though she's mostly bad in things, because uh, she gave one of the best performances of the past 10 years uh, in the Door of the Explorer movie. I am not joking. Uh, this is this is this is the moment where I get in my soapbox to say that the performance Isabella Merced gave as Door of the Explorer and Door of the Lost City of Gold is like a fucking work of art uh, and was probably my runner up to win Best Actress that year. I still haven't seen it. And I somehow got that one uh, instead of Mark in your game for in the SWAT game of like movies based yes. off of television shows. Mark, yeah. Mark, yeah, Tilly and I saw that together. He will he will back me up that Merced is like next level good in the Door of the Explorer movie. Um, All right, let me throw so What did you want to say about Horrible Bosses 2, Connor? So what I wanted to say about it was that I, I think right off the bat, I have a lot of issues with Horrible Bosses 1. From a critical stance, my yes. largest issue with it is, is that it sucks. Well, it's simply that the film, if I'm trying to understand why the film does not work on some level for me, mm. and I think it's because it inherently has no structure, or maybe it does begin with like some apparatus of structure, but it loses it completely. Horrible Bosses 2, which is not about murder, it's yes. like a it's like a hot that they want to attempt like a hostage scenario because Christopher. Walt, Christoph Waltz is going to steal their company. They become entrepreneurs. They start a company. Christoph Waltz is going to take it over in a hostile takeover. So they want to kidnap his son, who's played by Chris Pine, for ransom payment so that they can prevent him from buying the, from buying their company at auction when the bank forecloses on them. So more complicated than it sounds, but it is it essentially it essentially allows them to take the structure from other dramatic films that have to deal with like hostage ransom scenarios and like play with that yes. in a sense that they're riffing on the heist movie, the riff, the riffing on the hostage movie, and they have more fun playing against expectation based on the things that you've already seen. And my biggest issue with this is like the Hitman movie, the murder scheme movie, like that is a genre of movie that exists. It's not as varied as the heist movie it's just not as yes. large as the heist movie or the hostage movie but it is a type of movie that exists and then they don't play with that at all and then it turns into this very 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 strange give and take between this like insane kevin spacey character who could just kill people in broad daylight and like seem to blatantly have nothing go wrong with it um and then get stuck in this tangle of like I don't even know. Like it's just playing with the rules of this like bureaucratic world they live in in such a weird way to push them into situations where they have to do something that no human being will actually do. But the film never capitalizes on like the surrealist, absurdist comedy that films that work in the same way but are successful tend to do. I know I'm like I'm saying a lot of words, but essentially the second one picks a structure and it just sticks to it. And it's not a good film by any means, but it's it's far more enjoyable and you can like think about it uh, to um, a level of depth that this one doesn't even you can't even dream about well i mean you kind of hit the nail on the head of a lot of my criticisms of it where it's it's just kind of shapeless and it's there it feels very bland but 
it's not really much of a tone in the things they do. Like I was rereading those contemporary critic reviews uh, you <laughs> yeah. included and they were all Which are insane. Yeah, they're like, it was really funny when they were doing the surveillance takeouts. And I'm like, they were so goofy that there was no degree of tension in it. And you can still have comedy and tension work side by side in an interesting way. They're just so bumbling and based upon the improv of the of the actors, which isn't that good, that it just feels kind of shapeless. And it makes the direction when they move into the part where it's like one long car chase or people going Ugh. after other or kevin spacey threatening them just feel like a lightly offering essentially a lightly comedic take on like a bland thriller he's not good at executing or creating suspense in these scenes or even like a comedic suspense it's just the comedy is so broad it eliminates that it can't even tap into like a surreal tone you're talking about and that's why i i'm under the opinion that this could be a salvageable story but it would be interesting to see it like almost a better version of cassandra's dream where it's still like this dark kind of comedy but it's done with much more understated actors or well i think there is a better version i think there is a good version of this movie that exists i think there's a very good version of this movie that I, I would go so far i think there's actually a quietly incredible version of this movie that exists if you think kind of holistically i agree um, yeah and let me let me follow this because in my mind i know that like my big thing on this podcast is always like there's one thing wrong with a movie but often there is like one major thing wrong with a movie that everything stems out from. And in this case, this movie, this is a dark comedy that's not dark, right? Yeah. Like it is so afraid of getting its hands dirty that like it can't actually explore the comedy of playing strangers on a train as a farce is an interesting idea that this movie is too cowardly to get strangers into. on a train. I actually though, think is a black comedy, I think. Well, no, sure, no. But as a farce, but Dan, as a farce. I, I okay, actually yeah, think. Yeah. I actually yeah. think that this movie is the opposite of what you said, which this movie is a raunchy comedy, which tend to be very heartwarming. Okay. Like raunchy sure. comedies tend to have this core that you can like melt into yes. of vulnerability, of warmth, that kind of like the raunchiness outside of it, it, it gives yes. it like harsh edges that make it a comedy. Yeah. And that's what this movie wants to be. But just the fact that this movie is about guys that want to murder each other's bosses makes it have to be dark on some yeah. level because of the way that that's so incongruous, incongruous well, with, uh, with sorry, sorry. the idea of what this movie wants to be thematically and aesthetically so this movie was written by john francis daly and john goldstein yeah um it's their first script it's john daly john daly actually does have a cameo in this i don't know if you guys caught him he's no. jason um, bateman's co-worker he's jason bateman's co-worker who gets like one weird money shot um dan did you ever watch freaks and geeks no i have oh. jo john francis daly was the lead on freaks and geeks Okay. Um, and then Cardellini of, was the lead. They're they're the co-leads. They're the both leads. He's she's the freak and he's the geek. He's and her then, little brother, right? He's her little brother. Yeah. They're have you watched that show? A they're, long, long, long time. They are they are co-leads of that show. Um, but he's like a child star. He isn't really able to follow that show up with like a real acting career. Um now it's he's like 10 bones, years later. Right? He's in bones, I think. But now it's yeah. 10 years later and he transitions to being a writer. This is his first big script that he writes with Jonathan Goldstein. It's a huge hit. They write a bunch of scripts. They transition into being filmmakers. Well, uh, they Connor, rewrote this movie. Sure. 
Yeah. Connor, no, I think that's important. Saw. I think it's important yeah. that they rewrote this movie because based on their other movies that I have seen, I think it's very clear that this is one that didn't like stem out from them mm-hmm. organically. Like they were given an assignment to yes. to finish. Yeah. Yes. Connor, you just you just saw Dungeons and Dragons, which is their yep. newest movie, which is incredible. Yep. Uh it's good. great. So much more. But their best movie is fucking game night. Have you guys seen Game Night? What you're saying is the better, is the good the, version. The of good version of this thing. Have you guys seen Game Night? No. I have. Saw that okay. movie in theaters. And I saw that fucker in theaters. That fucker's <laughs> incredible. Everything that is wrong with Horrible Bosses, everything that is wrong with 2010's comedies is present in Game Night. Needless sadism, overplotting. A lot of it being an action movie. Too many big name actors. Jason Bateman, right? It's all fucking there and present. But the thing is, is that Game Night is extraordinary. And the reason Game Night is extraordinary is Game Night is going to get its hands dirty, right? Game Night is like, this is a dark comedy. And that means we are going to make elaborate comedic slapstick set pieces about people dying horribly. There's like... One of the biggest scenes in that movie is a torture scene. And it's so funny because that movie like gets in the mud and rolls around in a way that this movie is afraid of ever blemishing these characters or having them do anything wrong. And I watch this and I'm like, you guys are about to nail it. You're just, and I'm not pulling all the blame on them because of course it's a studio thing. Like, you know, like you said, Connor, this is a work for hire, but this movie is just like, they don't fucking kill anybody. In the fucking well, strangers on a train riff. They don't kill anybody. An interesting thing yeah. where I'm thinking about some of your comments and what I said where um the problem is it's black comedy on the surface. Yes. It kind of reminds me of like the cheap cutaway gags and like a family guy episode or something where I might chuckle, but it's just based on surface stereotypes that aren't really funny and i've been watching um a lot of the shows danny mcbride did for hbo like bound and down and vice principles and they work much much better because they have the characters do almost despicable unredeemable things but it stems from so much kind of emotional pain and character development whereas like with horrible the bosses it's so kind of taut and brief like i mean they don't make them dark enough they make them obvious but they don't even make them redeemable in any ways they just feel like kind of flat surfaces for the narrative to kind of project on them with it's the same with like when jason sudeikis's character where it's all just based around him being like sex craze that's it a lot better it's a lot better from there if colin farrell and jason bateman or jason sudeikis switch parts a billion percent this movie i i can't find shooting dates but just based on like casting dates this movie probably goes into production right after observe and report fucking craters at the box office (laughs) and gets jody hill put into jail um and like have you ever seen that movie dan no, in, I've heard it's actually kind of good. Observant Report is a masterpiece. Observant Report is incredible. In Horrible Boss's defense, I cannot believe I'm saying that. 
Observant Report is like the most evil movie ever released by an American <laughs> studio. And audiences were like ready to lynch Seth Rogen after yeah. that movie came out. I understand why you might want to spring in the opposite direction of um is Observant Report better than Taxi Driver? No, <laughs> it's <laughs> Don't braver, but it's braver than Taxi Driver, right? I it's think... more legitimately transgressive than Taxi Driver. Well, if we're talking about the tw- comedy in the 2010s, does the report come out in the 2010s? Oh, nine. Come out, comes oh, out nine. nine. If we're talking about comedy in the 2010s, and as we're saying, it's so sanitized, it's market tested, it's designed yeah. to hit the notes mm. correctly. It's it's the whitest form of bread that you can think of. Yes. <laughs> Jason Bateman. Um Man, he fucking sucks. I'm sorry. What what Observer Report reminds me is like, oh, these movies could have something to say. Mm. Yeah, that movie. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I love that movie. That movie is work. I was talking about that Jody Hill and Danny McBride do. They're really great character studies, and they do say something about redemption and things like that, or whether we can truly identify someone with someone after all they've done, but we also see kind of the emotional pain of these characters. And I get that they have an advantage with working with television, which is a longer medium. I'm not going to go off and say TV is good because it mostly to me is kind of bad, but um, you know, you can, dark comedy has to stem from at least a kind of empathy or interest in the characters. You don't have to like them, but I think of like, the classic one, if you've seen it, is the Chaplin film, Monsoir Verdot, where he plays a serial killer who murders wealthy widows. And it's so disturbing. And it's it's not as graphic, but it, the comedy is black as black can be. But the character is so much more developed, so much more detestable, but also sympathetic than any of these characters. They're just... They're because they lean so heavily on improv in the film and there's no strong scripting or I don't even think it doesn't sound like they're this leaning is not heavily it does. On it's watch it the watch it doesn't the watch sound the like it reel. because it becomes bland no it's, um it's I do a just bland type of improv that just becomes I, and feels like bad scripted dialogue I think uh, it's bad scripted dialogue that feels like bad yeah. improv Connor, I think that's Con- watch watch yeah. the blooper reel and watch how like little of that is deviations from the text. Um, I do I wanna, just, to I say, just Dan, cover Sorry. real quick, Dan, you, you are a guest. You are fully allowed to express whatever opinions you want. I just need to clarify that is the official position of the above the title podcast that Charlie Chaplin sucks. Okay. Continue. Connor. <laughs> it's the official position of Cole. It's the official yeah, position it's, of the podcast that Charlie Chaplin the, made boring my movies favorite for contrary. Oh God. I, there, there are bad things you can say about Harold Charlie Chaplin. Lloyd Don't say that, day. that he made bad Harold movies for Lloyd dumb nerds. All day. Nope. I've fucking seen the kid that thinks interminable. Um, oh God, shut the fuck up, man. Let's <laughs> <you laughs> not get into this. This is a Buster Keaton household, you motherfucker. Connor, Buster Keaton, also great. Also yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I got. I just want to throw two things out, Dan, to kind of cover very quickly why Observant Report is just like absolute mm-hmm. box office disaster, and even yeah. to some extent, like an absolute critical pick. People hated it. Um, Observant Report is to Paul Bart Mall Cop what Drive, the winning Refn movie, is to the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, like marketing. No, it's 
it is. I think people they, went they, in thinking they were going to watch a Paul and, Bart. But it's taxi. It, it is Taxi yeah. Driver. It's King but of it's Comedy. Taxi driver. Yeah. yeah. The thing about Observant Report is people did not like Observant Report for a lot of reasons. But Connor, I don't know if you remember this discourse, but when that movie came out, a lot of the like ire that was aimed at that movie and a lot of just the like the shock and disgust was aimed at one specific rape joke in that movie because that yeah. movie has a rape joke in it it's a very good very funny very well thought out rape joke that is just bleak like like soul crushingly bleak do you know the joke i'm talking about connor i can't remember it off the top of my head i i remember some of the discourse around it but i can't yeah. remember the joke, I, I, so. I don't i don't need to get into it just know that there's like a centerpiece rape joke to that movie that just people were like it is a people were like it is shocking that you put this in a major hollywood mm. movie which Compared, i don't understand but then this movie yeah. two years later is wall-to-wall rape jokes that are all toothless and casual and are in my mind way more effective offensive yeah than the much more grotesque joke in observant report because jody hill is putting a lot of thought into making the darkest joke of all time and this movie is just like this feels kind of edgy doesn't it but it's, it's not surface edgy. It's just, level shock yeah it's surf that's a great way to put it it's surface level shock that like no one's actually going to be offended by the big runner in this movie which like has aged so poorly uh is um that like bateman and sudeikis their bosses are actually bad but charlie day is just being a bit of a pussy right his boss is a hot chick who wants to have sex with them like that's not a real problem like that's the central joke of the movie right yeah fucking nathan rabin a good critic who i like starts his contemporary review of the av club of this movie being like god i wish jennifer aniston was trying to rape me like (laughs) Like oh that's the God. oh yeah no people in the people were eating that shit up in 2011. Well, it's, it's so disturbing. I mean, that's the attitude. Like, if you watch this clip, it was like I can't believe I'm bringing tainting the podcast with the name of this person, but like a this clip a fucking from Marvel like, Bosses episode. Bill we're about Maher to talk about and, Kevin Spacey, dude. Well, there was a clip from Bill Maher in the 90s where he was like, there was this famous case where it was like an eighth grader. Oh yeah, Mary was sexually yeah. assaulted and groomed by like a teacher, and he's like, I don't understand what the law is. It's people in love. Oh. And then there was the South Park episode, which was actually done well and was directly like criticizing the absurdity of that scenario and why the other way around. It's like treated as yeah, bro. So I mean, the fact that South Park, in retrospect, showed more in concision and sensitivity, and this is probably astounding but yeah it's very uh disturbing and there's also like the cheap jokes which aren't offensive but are just so flat and baseline with the binoculars where it's like oh it's actually a man it's like oh oh god the fucking oh yeah i mean that's like i i i have this like tentative plan of someday that i do want to figure out like what was the last studio comedy to have a cheap gay joke and what was the last studio comedy Mm -hmm. to have a cheap trans joke because it does feel like for both those things at obviously different points in history there was like an almost overnight feeling that like you couldn't go for like the real low-hanging fruit 
of just like a sight gag that a person is gay or a person is trans, but those both last way longer than you think they do. It's like how fucking Billy Crystal did blackface at the Oscars in 2011. And that's probably the last time you could do blackface on national TV and and get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always McFarland's boob jokes at the Oscars the next year. I always forget how recently uh, gay marriage became legal in this country. Like I always forget that it's, it's worth less than 10 years away from it. Like it's, it's fucking crazy. And Sometimes I like I literally have to like place myself when I'm watching a movie from like 2009, especially like a studio comedy that like, oh, this was the fucking problem. Like everybody felt this way. Yeah. About this like, type to of be stuff. to be yeah. clear, it is it is not funny then or now that Colin Farrell is this like crazed womanizer and like one of the several sex workers he has is a trans woman. Um that's I didn't not funny. Notice that. Oh yeah, like 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 when he's letting all the women out of his house, the last one has a deep voice, right? I think, it's that. And I then think there's that's like a, another oh a cutaway yeah, yeah. shot to Sue ever being like, "Yikes!" Um, I think that's another joke that was probably harsher, and then in the edit yes. they sanded off the edges. Yes, of it. but here's yeah. my point: that's not funny. A because it's just transphobic, but B, this is what I'm trying to say. That's also not funny because that's not a joke. Yeah, right? there's like, no punchline. Th- there no are <laughs> jokes, offensive as they may be, at the expense of gay people and trans people. But this, like, very Hollywood tenor of, oh no, just cutting to the visual, like, sight of a trans person was inherently treated as a joke because there's as, there's that freak show element to it. Like, those aren't actually fucking jokes, people. Like, hold your fucking selves to a higher standard, American audiences of 2011. If you're going to be offensive, be actually fucking offensive, is what I'm saying. At least then you have to write a fucking joke. I fucking hate this fucking movie. I, I kind of think this of the it. worst fucking when movie we've talked about. This when did Trainspotting come out? 96. Perfect movie. And that Trainspotting literally states out why that's not even funny, like, in the movie. Yeah, Trainspotting has, like, a weird trans joke in it, but it is, like, a written scene with, like, a punchline. It's a joke, but the the person being trans isn't necessarily the joke. And then Ewan McGregor has, like, a brief monologue of why it's not even that, like, why there's nothing even of interest about it. Yeah. Uh, I fucking hate Jason Bateman. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, let's, let's just get it going. Oh, okay. He sucks. He sucks fucking ass. He's always uh, I bad. think he's fine. I think he's, he's just got one kind of played these work. Yeah. He's played the, this exact role in so many kind of middling studio comedies. That's the problem with this film. It's not, it's just so dull where you could make the joke look, oh, you need drugs to get through, but you need coffee, you need caffeine to stay awake. It's just so unbelievably bland trying to watch this at 9 30 it's like it's it's like watching the evening news for me it just puts me to sleep it's just a series of kind of dull happenings and it's the same with the performances like i remember thinking um like charlie day was funny in it when it came out and now i just find them kind of just it's just a lot of the yelling shit. It's just, yeah it's, it's like watered like, down charlie from always sunny that is just his movie star run is there any that's, performance? That's the in this thing. Movie? I do think, um, like I think Jason Sudeikis is a funny guy, but in these movies, he just plays mm. like 
the joke it's not even a it's not even a joke it's a character like you said it's not a joke it's a character attribute yeah. treated as a joke that he's like crazy about women and he's like <laughs> the lothario as the reviews call them and it just yeah. leads to really kind of bland and predictable happenings um Sudeikis yeah, is demonstrably material dependent like Sudeikis... I, I've liked him and stuff but if he has a good script and a good director he's gonna be good he's never gonna actually elevate anything he's handed has anyone seen Hall Pass nope no Probably I haven't <laughs> it's but like I'm it's just like, like pretty like, bad but it's the better version of this because there's who's the other character who's... Owen Wilson it's Owen in Hall Wilson. Pass yeah, yeah. But like just around, oh, this is actually not the only Jason Sudeikis movie we're going to be talking about. I just found that out. But I'm just thinking oh, really? like this this early window of like Jason Sudeikis leading man stuff. Like this movie sucks, but he's funny in the campaign. He's great in Swanberg's Drinking Buddies. He's great in We're the Millers. He's like fucking incredible in Sleeping with Other People. Um, He's great he's... in Colossal. He's fine in Where the Millers. Let's not. He's really funny in Where the Millers. I love that movie. No, like, that movie's also really bad. No, that movie's also good. A really bad movie. That movie's good. Uh, like you give him like a good script, like he'll do good work with it. It's just that that that's all he's got is a good script, you know. Colossal is really interesting because the that's character that he plays in that movie is supposed to be everything that's wrong with America. Like it developed uh, his character as the movie is going on develops into like an encapsulation of you could tell like this is the filmmakers the screenwriter the director saying like this is yeah. everything that's wrong with the country right now especially uh, in uh, do you like that movie when that movie came out I find that movie to be a little fascinating but I would say I don't especially no. like it I I love that movie Dan have you seen Colossal No can I can I tell you the premise of Colossal Sure, go for it. Uh, Anne Hathaway plays an alcoholic um, who discovers that if she gets drunk and walks through like this one specific playground, um, a fucking kaiju like mirroring her her movements will rampage through Japan. So it's nope, basically that's not it. like the nope, scientist. Am I misremembering it? If Is she it just. Japan? She doesn't have to be drunk. If she just oh. goes to that playground at like eight yes. in the morning, a kaiju will mirror her, whatever she's doing, it will mirror it in Seoul. Yeah, it's in Seoul. You're right. It's, it's not even Japan. Yeah. But it's. Have it's, you guys it's this... seen Forbidden Planet from 1952? Oh, like... Isn't that just the plot of the scientist in the movie where it's like the No, it's a it's a lot. Or... It's different than that. Like there's no real it's it's not the same as that. Like yeah, the it's... the monster doesn't doesn't like it. Literally, they find out that she's controlling it because she asked her friends to like watch a YouTube video of it, like a YouTube live, and she's like waving, and then the monster like it literally like, does whatever she does, doing. it does. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and the whole thing's a weird metaphor for like abusive boyfriends and alcoholism and drug dependency, and it's a really interesting movie. It's fascinating. Uh, so, um, what's the Mount Rushmore game? I don't want to. Oh wait! Uh, let's talk, let's we'll, we'll get, get into it. it. We'll get to it. We'll yeah, get to yeah. it. Let's um, finish talking about Bateman. Let's finish talking about okay. Bateman, and then He's let's talk about Sudeikis. On Arrested Development, obviously, I'm not insane, right? Yeah. The problem is that's all he had in the tank, and the the thing that Arrested Development gets is that 
Michael is as loathsome as the rest of them, even if he's ostensibly the straight man, right? And you you take the Bateman persona and plop it into a movie where he's not supposed to be like scum of the earth. Then he's just this like smarmy asshole who I hate. When's he good in a movie? Game night. Game night's very good. Well, I was going to throw something at you. Uh, Do you remember who he plays in Dodgeball? No. He's like the douchebag color commentary guy. Oh, of course. Yeah. He's in, this is a Jamie Foxx reunion for Jason Bateman. What's he in with Jamie Do you remember? They are in The Kingdom together. The Peter Burke They are. He plays an FBI agent. I've never seen The Kingdom. Uh, He can do other stuff. I, I think, I think my theory is that Arrested Development cemented him as yes. like Mr. Bland middle-aged man to such an extent that it was like inescapable. It, it literally just like became a Ozark? hole that he like can't climb out of. But that's what he plays in Ozark. Have you seen Ozark? Have you watched God, any no. of it? God, no. no. He plays this guy, the same exact guy, except gets tricked into laundering money for like a Mexican cartel. And that's what Ozark is about. Okay. And it's a drama and it's not a comedy. But he literally, he almost literally plays the exact same character that he plays in Horrible Bosses. You know what movie he's actually kind of good in that I, that I like, that I feel like I'm the only person who likes? Have you guys seen The the Switch? I actually have not seen that. Is that yeah. the one with Ryan yeah. Reynolds? No, no. That's the changeup. <laughs> to be clear, um, The Switch is, and I... I feel like The Switch is a movie where people were, like, so turned off by the premise that, like, it bombed and audiences were, like, absolutely fucking not and critics were, like, absolutely not. But I think this is a movie that actually handles its premise well with, like, dignity and intelligence. Um, this is Jennifer is a, Aniston also? Yes, in? this is a yeah. Aniston-Bateman reunion, Horrible Bosses. The and she's also in We're the Millers. Yeah. Um, the switch is Bateman is like Jennifer Aniston's long suffering, like friend zoned guy who like loves her, but can never like admit to it. And one day she's like, I want to have a kid. I'm going to have like be artificially inseminated and then I'll leave the country and like raise this kid on my own. And he gets drunk one night and swaps the sperm with his own. Uh, criminal, uh, and but okay. doesn't remember it and then when she comes back into his life 10 years later with this kid he starts to be like why does this kid remind me so much of me um i think that movie's cute i think that movie's cute yeah the premise is yeah I, the premise is a lot conceded people didn't like it at least it has a real premise like yeah Horrible bosses, like I said, it doesn't necessarily have a real premise that like offers it any inherent structure, or at least it just doesn't follow what the premise, what you might. My main issue with Bateman, and it's the issue with the movie we've been talking about, is it's just, and it's the problem perhaps with all three of the characters, and it's not necessarily anything against their performances, is they're so bland and kind of straight laced. Like, none of them are particularly horrible or particularly good. Like, they have Bateman briefly being the voice of conscious, being like, I can't believe you're suggesting it. And then they just go along. It was kind of like in Ewan McGregor with um, Cassandra's Dream, how there's the scene where after they talk to Tom Wilkinson, he's, like, about to vomit. And then, like, the next day, he's like, eh, we should do it. It's a very similar yeah. thing, but in a comedic center. Yes. Like, there's not a lot. There's just so little layers 
to these characters uh that it's just it's just it would be like yeah, I mean, I just described it. I don't know why I'm making metaphors, but I'm, you know what? Well, I agree with you because I see the same problem yeah. because it's funny that both of their names are Jason, but Sudeikis and Bateman are like essentially playing the different, very minor alterations yeah. of the same guy in this movie because one's it's not a real one's person. more of a square. Yeah. There is there's one performance in this movie I think is good. And to its credit, there's a performance in the movie that I think is actually quite good. Probably Gig gets a half star added on to this movie all alone and we're not going to continue talking about this so let's move on well i i just want to i just want to say don't want to like, say who it is oh uh, <laughs> that's fine we don't have to talk about yeah. it um that Please, even even, even though the two even though the two jason characters who are named jason i can't it, their names are are kurt Nick Dale and, and ed Nick, or something yeah i can't remember which one is which because there's a a very forced n-word joke uh in the second movie based on that being their names um don't i don't even want to know i don't, don't want to say know. Yeah. connor you're not uh, really selling us on the value of the second movie. it wasn't good i'm saying it wasn't good okay, but it's I like infinitely ask, better than this i one. have to ask having read the plot synopsis of the second one is spacey their friend no but it sounds like they go to him for advice and then he ends up saving the day at the end it's it's like they, they turn Spacey into Hannibal Lecter, where it's like so okay. Spacey's in jail. They need to figure out a way to to prevent their company from being taken over by Christoph Waltz. So they go to Spacey to ask for advice. He refuses to give them advice and just kind of like laughs them out of the building. But there's kind of this weird thing where it's like you can tell he's a little happy because they're the only people who have gone to visit him. So okay. at the end of the movie, when their company is about to go over, he buys the company in order to force them to have to like it oh, keeps them on to run the company to force them to come to jail like once a week to give him the update on like what's going okay. on. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um <sighs> This but even the- even the Charlie Day character is also just like middle of the road. He doesn't go as far as Galifianakis does in yeah. The Hangover. Like oh, he yeah. doesn't he doesn't assume like the Danny DeVito role that DeVito played in like most of the projects that he was in. Like he's he's in any other movie he would still be like the normal one of the wacky group of friends. It's just like because Charlie Day is shorter and has an unkempt beard and has a higher pitched voice. Mm. He becomes the wackier one of the three of them. So it's, it's annoying to have to watch a movie with like three really boring white guys. Yes. In the center of the movie. I guess Charlie Day ever been good in a movie. Um, cause he's obviously good on sunny, right? Is he good in Pacific Rim? No, I can't remember. Nope. He's very annoying in Pacific Rim. I think that might be um, the only other thing I've seen him in. So this is let's 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 uh, run through the Charlie yeah. Day starring like movie star run, right? It's really embarrassing. Um I don't even know. This, Does he have a movie star run? Well, like kind of this is what it is. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna it's this that coming out. Yeah. Then he does Pacific Rim. Which he's not like even close no. to the main character. Then his follow-up yeah. is Horrible Bosses 2. That's his real big leading man follow-up. Um, then he's in vacation. I guess that's got to be a smaller role. Um, then he's in fist because fight. Ed Helms is the star of vacation, yeah. so he's yes. not the star. Then he's in fist fight. Fist fight is a good movie, but Charlie Day is not good in fist fight. Is that um, he's gonna like fight Ice Cube or something? It's like that? it's a remake yeah. of Three O'clock High. 
uh, with Ice Cube and Charlie Day. Yes. Okay. Sure. Where where Ice Cube says, I'm going to kick your ass at the end of the day. Um, then he said, I love you, daddy. So this is where it starts to go bad for him. Um, oh, is that I the love curse you, daddy? Louis the C. curse K. Louis C.K. Oh, movie that okay. never got released. That Have you screeners... seen it, Cole? No. No. Um, uh, uh, multiple people... Because screeners went out. I'm not going to yeah. name them, but multiple people did offer to send it to me. And I was like, I don't want to do this, guys. <laughs> like, bef- even even before the release got canceled, I had, like, multiple people being like, you want to fucking watch the Louis C.K. movie? And I was like, no, I don't want to watch the Louis C.K. movie. Oh, um, Pootie Tang is still a masterpiece. Um, then he's in Pac Rim 2, Hotel Artemis, Quietly Rules, uh, and then he kind of goes away until I want you back, which was the terrible rom-com that he and Jenny Slate made. Awful. Yeah. Um, and then he wrote and directed and started one of the worst movies of 2023, uh, Fool's Paradise, a borderline war crime. Um, everything I could tell you about how this movie is like fucking a radioactive bomb would make you want to see it. So I'm just going to shut up. Um, oh, God. But <laughs> okay. Everything... The, the the real thing that Charlie Day has going on for him, though, is that even if people are resistant to the leading man stuff, because all those movies kind of bomb, right? He's in both Lego movies and he's in Mario, right? Mm. He has, like, that fucking going for him. He's, like, carved out a nice niche for himself as a voice actor. And he's also on this television show you might have heard of. Which is just because on his voice is higher pitched. Air. Yeah. Yeah. She's still on the fucking air. That's insane. So we got the three leading men in this. The Suck. two two Jasons, one of them's better looking than the other one, but they're essentially the same guy. And their entire careers have been made out of playing boring white guys surrounded by more interesting characters. Am I wrong? T- t- correct me if I'm wrong at any no. point here. No. And then a third other boring white guy who's just a little more weirder looking than they are. So he's the wacky one of the friend group. And they are trying to kill... Kevin Spacey playing Kevin Spacey from to what I can understand <laughs> the, the good performance in this movie. He's not doing anything. We haven't, you haven't seen Kevin Spacey. Do no, before in a movie. but he's playing the same character. He plays in margin call essentially. In this yeah, movie. this is the yeah. same year as margin call. This is a very good year for Kevin Spacey because Kevin Spacey is fucking incredible in margin call. <laughs> like I'm he's sorry. also like he's also like the voice of moral righteousness in margin call which yeah, is fucking insane sure. this is and, like uh, weirdly uh, right in the middle of the like forgotten kevin spacey comeback um because because kevin spacey the, the 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 first half of the 20 2000s is really fucking bad for kevin spacey yeah because he's like developing his own projects and like I mean, we've obviously like a Bobby Darren biopic where he's Um, like in his 50s. Let's 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 loop back to Kevin Spacey. When we left Kevin Spacey on this podcast, he had just won his second Oscar and had made Ordinary Decent Criminal. Right. So just to clarify what happens to Kevin Spacey after Ordinary Decent Criminal is the Bobby Darren biopic, Pay It Forward, The Shipping News, K-Pax. Right. All these like leading man roles that he develops where... He has completely misunderstood his value as a movie star and is trying to play like sensitive, kind-hearted leading men and not like weird psychopaths. Yeah. His career bottoms out, but then David Gale, Life of David Gale. Can't forget Life of David Gale. He does Moon. Have you guys seen Moon, the Duncan Jones movie? 
he's the robot voice he's the the robot robot. voice yeah he gets like the best reviews he's gotten since um american beauty for me it's a good movie um everyone's like losing their mind over this like kevin spacey is back and then he gets a golden globe nomination for best actor for casino jack the jack abraham off biopic the year before and then he's in margin call and this in one year this movie's a huge hit. Margin Call's a huge critical darling. He's really good in Margin Call. I think if this doesn't happen, this one-two punch of these two movies, he doesn't get House of Cards, which is really the thing that enshrines him, and he rides out the rest of his career doing. I don't know, and the one thing I'm going to say is that David Fincher seems to know how to cast people that he doesn't like in projects. Like, even though he doesn't, may not... I don't know if he likes or doesn't like Kevin Spacey. He seems to have some innate understanding that Kevin Spacey is like a fucked up person. But Fincher, I was just thinking about this. Fincher is not inclined to work with people multiple times. Brad Pitt is the only person he's worked with on multiple occasions as an actor. I think everyone else he's one and done. He's also, both he and Brad Pitt and other people have said multiple times that Brad Pitt's best friend is David Fincher and David Fincher's best friend is Brad Pitt. So that makes a lot of sense. He hasn't worked with Um, Morgan Freeman again. He hasn't worked with Michael Douglas again. Well, no, no, no. What I was going to say again. What I was going to say is one. I think his the most of the time that he spent working on House of Cards was just in prep for the first season that he essentially like left the project. So he's not actually there around Spacey often. And then two, it's like I think of like a lot of the people that he casts in his movies. I'm sorry, Ben Affleck, but like he cast you in Gone Girl because of you being Ben Affleck yes. and him understanding who you are as Ben Affleck. Ben and Affleck's like, second best performance. Continue. Yeah, it's very clear that like he understands how to cast real people in that way. Where like visions of their personal life that's outside the press and in the way that they are seen by the media at large seem to merge together into the character that they are portraying on screen. He seems better at doing that than most other directors and people of hollywood seem and i mean he's always been very aware of uh, coming from being a a music video director and from doing a lot of commercials he always seems very aware of like the industry as it as it works in totality part of me is like i don't know if david fincher like follows through in producing house of cards unless he cast kevin spacey in that role but doesn't this movie being a hit boost Kevin Spacey to the point where he can anchor a show like House of Cards because you forget like how important House of Cards was when it came out because it is the first Netflix original and they had a lot writing on that and if this movie doesn't isn't a hit do they not go with someone a little more higher profile than Spacey like that's the point I'm making I think think this pushes him back into the A-list for a brief window a ton of money on House yes. of Cards. Again, it's their first foray into making original content. Yes. It's, it had to succeed. There was no other it, option it, for it. It had but to they be an clearly, HBO killer. They clearly did not want to shovel out expenses on the same kind of talent in front of the screen, not necessarily sure. behind the camera. But they did not want to because, as as we said, it's Robin Wright, who like nobody really had cared about that much leading fucking up to good this. on that show. I know I was mean to Robin Wright, <laughs> When we talked about Home at the End of the World, she's a fucking good on House of Cards. Holy shit. 
Yes, but if you think about again, like think about where she was at home at the end of the world. Oh yeah, no, oh, yeah, casting yeah, yeah. her for that role in House of Cards. So they're clearly budgeting. They're like trying to save some money by casting Robin Wright in that role. They're trying to save some money by casting Kate Mara in that role. They're trying to save money by casting um, uh, a Corey Stoll who was like unknown at the time in that major role so in the first season. That show, that first uh, season's so good. Holy isn't shit! Isn't like Evan Rachel Wood maybe in the first season? She plays a prostitute. So. Someone like that plays the prostitute, but it's a similar thing where it's like an unheard young actress. I think part of the deal with Kevin Spacey is even though he's had this career slump, he's still the guy from Seven. He's still the sure. guy from American Beauty. Nobody yeah. at this but, point in time, which is insane to think about. Nobody was like, I don't like Kevin Spacey. He's a bad actor. Yeah. I hate him. Like everybody still thought of Kevin Spacey as a very praiseworthy but they didn't. The but but Hollywood but, screen. No, but they didn't. Three years, five years before House of Cards came out, they no, didn't. They post, still not post Superman Returns. Post Superman Returns, he's a joke. Like his career's over. Yeah, but the thing I don't I don't think that's true. I think it is the true. Feeling of him after Superman Returns is like, oh, it's a shame they wasted what they had with Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. After Beyond the Sea, after David Gale, after Superman <laughs> Returns, like his career's a joke. He does a bunch of smaller, well-regarded performances, and I do think this movie being a huge hit helps cement his like he's back. And I I think if there's no hit. He doesn't have enough juice to be like the name attraction for House of Cards. Dan, you've been very quiet. I can't imagine why. What do you think about Kevin Spacey? Um, I'm I don't know if I should touch it, uh, being employed at a university, but um in the film, can I can say- I will not comment on social situations surrounding Kevin Spacey. I have no comment on that. I've talked to my legal representative in terms of how he is in this film. I'm in the minority out of you two where I'm not that comedically impressed because he's playing the same type of psychopathic role. And part of my issue, uh, an underlying issue with the film and why I've mentioned that it's somewhat too over the top for me is I keep, I'm just more convinced by like the Bill Lumberg type of boss oh yeah kind of passive aggressive control three freak rather than the high strung kind of it has to be my way and there are people i'm with you with this world who are more like spacey but i think for you know what we're in now it's kind of this ongoing post tech boom i'm just not as impressed or swayed by the psychopathic boss as much if you get what i mean i think but if I'm with you in this regard. I I don't agree with Cole that it's the. I actually think Aniston is maybe the one good performance in this movie. Yeah, I think she's actually really. Let me let me make the case. Oh my god, I almost said let me make the case for Kevin Spacey. (laughs) Let me make the case. (laughs) Let me let me make the case for why I think Kevin Spacey is good in this movie because it it's fair to say that Kevin Spacey is good at playing like dead eyed psychopaths. Um, uh, Oh yeah. I agree with what you're saying about the character not being very interesting, but that has nothing to do with Kevin Spacey's performance. That's a script issue. If we're talking about what is Spacey doing with the material he's being given, I think he is clearly having a lot of fun, just like 
tormenting Bateman. And I think he brings a level of like energy and like legitimate evil to it that like, I do think the movie is best and funniest when he's on screen because he's just so sadistic and he's clearly just making a meal out of these zingers. And like, there's, there's a rhythmic, like, professionalism to how he's rattling off the jokes that like no one else in this movie has that like formal technique to the performance that they're giving whereas Spacey almost feels like he's doing like the R-rated version of almost like an old Hollywood asshole in a way where he's really just technically on his That's on his game. That's literally who sure. Kevin Spacey is as a person. Is the, the R-rated version of an actor. old Hollywood. The asshole. man, the man was in LA Confidential, and that's a great performance. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I don't know. It's too. It's it's it feels, for lack of a better term, very actory. I think. See, I think sure, it's Kevin the, Spacey. Should have gone the Ken Loach route and cast someone who actually <laughs> works in that position and make it more convincing. Uh. Because when I see Aniston, I'm like, this is Aniston trying really hard. That's why. And when I I see Spacey, I'm like, this is Spacey not having to try hard and hitting the same level. And I think that's why I'm more taken with Spacey. Whereas like Aniston, I just like, you're just trying to shock me. And I, and you're, and I get what you're doing as a performer, Jennifer. And it's like, I mean, I've said this on the show before, Connor, that I'm I am aggressively generally disinterested in movie stars playing against type. Mm. Um, I like it when people are good at doing the thing and understand how to use their instrument. Kevin I Spacey agree. Kevin Spacey is someone whose career tanked when he stopped knowing how to use his instrument. This is him playing the hits. Um Aniston has given some performances I don't like. What she's obviously the star of the greatest American film ever made. Um but this, I'm just like, this is not what Looney you want. Looney Tunes back in action. The fucking breakup. Um, the breakup, the movie Ernst Lubus wish he could have made. Um, a perfect oh, film. Boy. Hey, you know who's you know who's on my fucking side here? Richard Brody. Sophia so fuck Coppola. You. Fuck I you and don't fuck agree. you. I, I have never <laughs> once agreed with Richard Brody. Great. Fuck great you critic, and fuck though. you. Brody's Brody's on my side. The I appreciate everything movie. he has contributed to the to the world. I of will side. I ne- almost never agree with him. I will side with Cole, and you know I don't want to because this is your podcast, and I don't want to rejigger the structure. But we could make the same argument with Colin Farrell in this film with stunt casting or playing against type, where partly the gimmick of these two performances is taking the roles they've been known for in the past and kind of just playing, like doing a hammy reversal of that. And I do generally agree with Cole, and it's why I, even though Connor's not on the John Wayne page, but it's why I like someone like that who's known for a specific type of performance that interests me more than like, like an actor who can be a chameleon that generally sort of... I, I feel like I can see the acting rather than the personality and someone, you know, identifying with the character. So that's where I will side with Cole, where I, I, yeah. I'm slightly more positive towards Aniston, but I agree with your thesis and I think it's correct. Okay, here's, I'm going to disagree with you about Colin, though, uh, Dan, and here's why. Right. Because this isn't actually Colin playing against type. Because at this point in his career, this is as much Colin's type 
as the dreamboat thing is. And if anything, my disinterest in this Colin Farrell performance is like, I have seen him play gross little freaks so many times that I'm like, I do think to some degree this movie thinks it's stunt casting, right? And I'm like, I've fucking seen Daredevil. We've all seen Daredevil. Like, you need to give me more grossness, Colin, at this point. Because this is kind of just you sleepwalking through the shock value and letting the fucking fat suit carry the performance in a way you're not going to do in the Batman. You know, Connor? Yeah, I don't even, uh, you know, I think this is clearly like just a paycheck. Yeah. For him. Boring yeah. performance. He's barely, he also doesn't get like time, you know, to That's really. That's the only thing. Yeah. Do you remember the fucking Merv the Perv sketch on the SNL? I do. I was going to bring yeah. that up. If he yeah, was very that's, much like, so Dan, this for, is what he's doing. When he was on um, Saturday Night Live, when he was on Saturday Night Live, I guess Which they you had, could like, have talked about Dan because he was on yeah. it to promote Alexander. Yeah. Oh, um, why didn't I, he show up six I, I guess every week after that. I <laughs> guess you did you didn't want to do that one. So we I did guess, it before Alexander, I think. Oh, really? I don't uh, remember. Yeah. I, I guess back in the day when Chris Parnell was on SNL, he played a character named Merv the Perv, who was just this like gross fat guy in like a with like a pencil thin mustache who just like perved on women and creeped them out. And when Colin hosted, the joke was that he was playing Merv's British cousin. Uh, but because he had an accent, Steve the Skeeve, Steve the Skeeve, because yeah. he had an accent, all like the gross, creepy stuff he was doing was like, taken as charming even though it's the exact same like perverse like sexual harassment stuff an okay sketch a funnier character and a funnier version of the same shtick in a way right connor that he's that he's kind of just phoning it in here like this is what i'm saying dan is like i've seen him give performances like this multiple times because he does relish the chance to just like get ugly and get nasty with it where i would push back a bit is um the emphasis on his physical appearance like a reversal of the dashing movie star looks where so much is talked about where um he's in the fat suit he has the balding comb over and i think so much of what the film is expecting and we could argue this with aniston as well is to get a few Oh, at from audiences when they oh, see for sure. realize that's Colin yeah. Farrell playing that role. And it's the same with I love the film, but John Voight and Ali as Howard Cosell. Terrible makeup. I think the real analogy is actually Cruise and Tropic Thunder. But the 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 distinction being like, I don't know if you guys remember this. That was actually a surprise. Like he was not marketed in, that he, he was, was in not that movie. not only yeah. was he marketed, they embargoed critics on talking about it. Mm. Now, when the movie came out, they then put out a second round of ads that were all yeah. fucking Tom Cruise. But that's a movie that was like, put Tom Cruise under all this makeup and have him just say fuck a hundred times and blow people's minds. Whereas this movie, like the trailers were selling, like, look at Colin Farrell in the fat suit. He's so gross and creepy. And then he's just like out of the fucking movie because they don't have any jokes beyond so, look at Colin Farrell in the fat suit. That's partly. My thing is it just rebels around him doing like cheaply kind of outlandish things. And it's the same with like the design 
of the apartment, which you linked on your care package and how they were talking to the production designer. It's like, we're really going into detail to try to make these emphasize the characters. And I'm like, they just look like bland rental yeah. condominiums. Yeah. I, I blew my like, mind. The production designer of this movie clearly wrote the Wikipedia page for this movie. Um, well, it's because they probably gave Jamie Foxx $20 million to be in this movie and then they only had uh, What do we think love. of him in this film? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we can't, do that we can't, we can't get there yet that's okay. the climax of the episode i have, I have something to say about Colin, Let's, which is you guys yeah. keep bringing up the fat suit yes and i have this theory that he's not actually wearing a fat suit i think he is and it says in the i think he's just sticking his stomach out because in the scene he when is... he's like has the hookers in the office with him his shirt is open and it looks like he's just sticking his stomach out it doesn't have, look like he's actually have, wearing a fat have suit. you seen have you seen fright night yet no He's wearing a fat suit. You will. I he think takes, he's he, sticking his stomach. He out. takes his shirt off in Fright Night. Trust me. Okay. He's. He has visible abs, though, when his shirt is open. Uh, in maybe. This movie. He's, They're just his he's, stomach. Is he's like, he's like bail level jacked in Fright Night. Like he's in like the best shape he's in in his entire career in okay. Fright Night. I don't think he could get there. It might not be a full suit, but like he's wearing some like prosthetics. I think so. It says on the Wikipedia page that he basically, I don't, I have a lot to say. Let me just start off. With, this would be the starting point for it. It says on the Wikipedia page that he essentially took control over how the character looks on his own. Like he got cast in the movie yes. and then he showed up and he was like, this is how I'm going to look in the movie to play this guy. And they were like, whatever, Colin, just do it. And part of me is like, he could do the comb over on his own with a bald cap and a wig, but he he couldn't, he couldn't find like a realistic fat suit somewhere. So he just walked around with like sticking his stomach out. Maybe. It's part of know. my theory. And it's because in that scene where he has his shirt open, I'm like, this guy doesn't look fat to me. He's got visible abs. He's just sticking his stomach. Out. Maybe. Yeah. Whatever. It's just, it's just a, it's just something that I've been thinking about since I saw the movie. It's just, we keep bringing up the fat suit, whatever. But again, I think what's more interesting is that, for everything that's been said publicly about the making of this film, they cast him in this role. And then he essentially took complete control over the aesthetics of his character and was like, I see this guy with a really bad, with really bad facial hair, a comb over, an earring, and he's like pretty out of shape and chubby. And and took all of that under his own control and like did that under his own volition. When you watch the second, they run back the idea of the cokehead loser son of the boss with chris pine mm -hmm. except chris pine plays it as the like cult of personality hot young heir character and mm -hmm. it's kind of a it's kind of a meshing of what spacey's doing and what colin's doing in this movie well having not seen two have you seen the joe carnahan movie stretch no no because Stretch is the same year as Horrible Bosses 2, and Chris Pine in Stretch is, like, giving the Colin in Horrible Bosses performance, where really? he's, like, you see him naked. He's like, he's not, like, fat, but he's this, like, greasy, drugged out, like, rich party animal who's just repulsive. I would understand why he would not want to give that performance again in the shitty Hollywood movie. Well, okay, so but here's 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 a number of things. It's funny that they were essentially like we didn't do either of these that well in the first one, so let's 
composite them into the same character and then like try it again in the second one. But that also leads to like two other things. One is about Spacey. And the reason why I don't necessarily think Spacey is giving a good performance is because it's so wildly evil and over the top that you just like can't understand how that company functions. Why does this guy who's already the president of the company want to be the vice president of marketing, which is a a promotion that it's implied that he wants to give that, that should get go to Bateman that he ends up taking for himself. Well, even though he's already can I go on a limb and defend that element of the plot? <laughs> yes, but also both of you should click on the link in the chat real quick. Okay. Right. Cole just sent us this picture of Chris Pine in in, in, in stretch. I think oh, that's interesting. more interesting. I think that's more interesting just looking at him than what Colin. Colin oh, oh, certainly. And like yeah. I said, like you see his fucking balls in this movie like well stretch is a real good movie that like even after it was cut to pieces by the distributor is like one of joe carnahan's better movies like but to, to come back yeah, yeah when i think when i'm comparing chris pine in the second movie to spacey in this movie it's interesting that pine plays it as like this guy who is so enticing that even though he's the worst person on the planet, you like can't help but want to be part of his team. And that's when I think about like how bad bosses function in reality. I don't know if you've ever had a bad boss, Dan, but like the way I think of it, it's like the majority of the people in the office get roped into this like cult of personality. And they're like, I'll kill for that guy, even though he's a maniac. And there's typically like the one or two people on the outskirts who are like not really brought into the fold of everything else that's going on. And I think when I, when I, what I read into this movie is I think that's kind of the way Spacey is set up to be, or else he would be the Lundberg from office space, but Spacey can't do that. So Spacey just plays it like Spacey plays everything, which is like, I'll take Lee out of getting to be evil on screen. Do you, do you think that they're rewriting the role around Spacey or that they're casting Spacey to play this broad of a character? Because it's not like anyone in this movie is not a broad caricature, you know? I think they're rewriting it around him. And a part uh, of it is because I've read that they offered it to Tom Cruise, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Jeff Bridges initially well, okay. before they worked their way all the way down but the ladder to can land you on Spacey. Fucking imagine if Philip Seymour Hoffman had to have this on his resume. But I think he would have, he it would have been a bad movie still. Like every, all the signs show, like point towards this never escaping, being a bad movie. But when you think about them in this role, it's it's like I'm saying it's like that kind of guy that is promising the world to everybody else in the company so that they'll put up with all of this bullshit in order to be on board. And Spacey like never achieves that. But Pine, shockingly enough, does kind of achieve that in the second movie. Just by being regular old charming, crazy Chris Pine. And it's like to the point that in the second movie, Sudeikis and Charlie Day like get to the point where they think they're best friends with Chris Pine's character, even though they're clearly not like it on that same sphere. Um how excited the, are you for Pool Man? I literally can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. It looks the so reviews. Good. Make me think it might be the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, (laughs) by saying how bad it actually is. You know that like joke everyone says that like everyone knew Elvis was going to be good when Air like negatively compared it to Speed Racer. Dan, have you have you read about Pool Man? 
Yeah, it's this like yeah. directorial debut, right? It wasn't it? Yeah, ad- it sounds great. Which was written out. about by IndieWire. This is almost for it's locker. not word for word because I'm going off the top of my dome. But the IndieWire essentially said that the movie is so bad and confusingly bad that it draws into everything we thought we knew about Chris Pine as both an actor and as a real man, like walking the streets of this planet. That we have to like call everything we know about him into question to <laughs> to, to figure out if he's actually like a Dude, sane I person. Am- all for a batshit directorial debut from an actor if it's like i know i hope it it's was like going to be a marlon brando one-eyed jacks where like better years from now they're going to be like this better. is the best they compared it to movie 43 let's <laughs> fucking go baby now can that's i add cinema. in um, a few bits about spacey and kind yeah. of wait 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 i'm not done yet i'm not done yet. <laughs> there's a i've been thinking about this for a while I just want to fucking talk and about that, Jamie Foxx. It's that I think that Chris Pine is the American counterpoint to Colin Farrell. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yes, I think in the roles he's taken, in the way he looks, in a lot of the way he's treated by the media, he's in part the American counterpoint to Colin Farrell. And I started thinking about that when we were going to talk about Bridges, and I rewatched Hell or High Water, and I was like, oh shit, yes. this is a role that Colin Farrell could have could if. If uh, Scott Cooper had made Hell or High Water, that probably would have been Colin Farrell yes. or Christian Bale, I guess. Whatever. Fuck Christian Bale. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I would say this, though. And we kind of talked about this last week with London Boulevard. If the thing that feels like it's really hurting Colin at this stage in his career, this fucking nature we're stuck in, is that he's choosing bad projects more than anything else. Yeah. Like Chris, Chris Pine Loki. Not great at picking what movies he wants to do. <laughs> yeah, like he's got some heaters in there, but like, mm, well, I like saw if, all the old knives, buddy. If that th- that's that's kind of the thing about Chris Pine is like Chris Pine, yeah. you shouldn't be the love interest in Wonder Woman. Like you need to be the lead of your own movie. Yeah. Why are you and Don't Worry, like, Darling? Why are you and Don't Worry, Darling? Another role that pro- that Colin Farrell like probably read for, or at least was sent the script. Um. But it's just it's it's we'll kind of wild. This podcast it's kind of wild that they lean into the like stereotypical heartthrob Chris Pine in that movie, almost as a, like a reactionary thing to Colin Farrell going so far in the other direction. Yeah, in this yeah. movie. Yeah. It's interesting. Did you see Don't Worry, Darling, Dan? No, I am. Did, did you know he's playing your idol, Jordan Peterson? Do not say that on camera. Do not say that. That's a denial. I have been staunchly anti-Peterson. I do not want to be dragged into this. Do not. But yes, I heard because it was hilarious because there was the interview of him on like Piers Morgan or something where he started breaking down. (laughs) Yes. Because he was told that abuse on these young men. Like that. Yeah. So I do know because he is funny. Really he was read a part of an interview where Olivia Wilde. What what did she? Olivia Wilde said he that the Chris like Pine the character was supposed to be Jordan Peterson, the king of incels, and then Jordan Peterson was read that yes interview quote while he was himself being interviewed and start crying. Yeah, I mean, that movie's just, so bad. That movie's. So I kind of need to see it at some point, but um, can you I don't. Get my bit in about yeah, go go. So there's a few interesting things. One point was um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was on the table for it. I'm wondering because he might have played it more sleazily. Like I think of the waterbed salesman 
was that what he was or the mattress oh, punch drunk love punch drunk yeah. love like i think it might have been inched too close to the feral character if he took uh, it his son sold water beds thank you very much all right but um <laughs> It would be interesting. I mean, Jeff Bridges, it might be more of like the kindly psychopath that we see the Bob Newhart character at the end be. Or, um, and the other option was Tom Cruise. It would have just been collateral, but okay. not violent, essentially. But let me, let no, me finish. It would have been, it would have been fucking Tropic Thunder. But, but guys, aren't all of those just in theory way more interesting than anything no. that's basically? No, 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 no. no. Yes, I'll let Dan finish will, and then I'll outline me... why it's not interesting. All right, let me finish. But um, I mean, well, let me answer that question because um, I think I might have been more interested in Bridges or um, Tom Cruise just to see Tom Cruise do a lower budget, mid budget comedy might have been interesting. But um, I don't know. My problem with Spacey, why I will partly defend elements of the performances. I've known people who've worked in the corporate world and there are people like the event Colin made the joke about where Colin, Colin Connor, I'm confusing already these C names, but um, the bit where he's like, oh, I took the vice president role. I think that's fine for me because it's like a slight elaboration of like the insane power dynamics that goes on where people in those positions will do kind of directly bullying or belittling things because it's a way for them to restate their power. And that's why I thought the one kind of successful bit was when he makes him drink the scotch at 8 a.m. where it feels like a slight elaboration of that. But I do think you're right for the most part. It's just kind of a hyper-exaggerated, yuppie, psychopath thing, which is interesting to me if it was played at a, in a slightly more pared-down level. Like, it would have been interesting to see him do those power-move things just to kind of reinstate his presence there. But That's other, basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm guys, you guys are wrong. I, I'm I was gonna, just I'm defending one. Honor, I was just defending wrong. one element of the thing. No, here's <laughs> here's why you're wrong. Bob Newhart, fucking legend, right? Iconic, great. One of the one of the best comedians of yeah. all time. Undeniable. Shows up, shows up at the end of this movie as Bateman's new boss, right? Mm-hmm. What's the gag with him? That he also sucks. But but that he's like cuckoo pants crazy and has like his assistant like locked up in his uh in the his trunk, trunk of his car yeah. yeah newhart sucks in this movie you know why like he can't because he can't rectify how bizarre this character is you guys are trying to tell me that so much of the exaggerated nature of the spacey performance is spacey and not the script when they have fucking bob newhart's a legend in their movie and all they can give him is this big broad wacky thing spacey's not the reason this movie isn't like office space level good corporate comedy no spacey is selling the insane over the top character they've given him and they're gonna give bridges the same material Bridges couldn't do it. Like Spacey's good casting for the character they've written. I don't think so. I, I think Bridges could. I don't even is... think. I don't even think Spacey's good casting for the part that they've written, considering the is. fact that he's trying to run them over with his fucking Yukon he's... at the end of the well, movie. That's my I, issue. Bo- I yeah. buy it. I buy it. 
he I buy that it. way more with bridges than I do. With no, Spacey. I buy it with Spacey because Spacey's he probably good that in real life. <laughs> he plays it too coolly, like this kind. He does a good job at the beginning, I guess, of playing like this manipulative kind of bully in the workplace. But then when he's like flipping out at his wife and like freaking out at um the surprise party and then trying to run them over like the term of the surprise party scene i love how fucking like rattled he is i think that's so funny that that he like loses the cool for one cheap joke it's like oh what of the surprise this guy is so type a he gets upset by the surprise and spacey sells it i think spacey sells it i cannot believe you guys are fucking making me defend level characterization Cole loves kevin spacey this Kevin Spacey is Cole's is favorite actor. Mm. All right, who? What do we think about Meghan Markle? That's the real. Oh part. boy, I can't, I just I've been say, waiting to say this the okay, whole time. Okay, I looked this up. This movie premiered a week after Suits premiered. Big June for Meghan Markle. <laughs> Big June for Meghan Markle. Is there anything more? Is there anything pointing more to to the issues with the modern world than that the former Duke of Sussex was in this movie for like? 30 seconds just to be hit on by Jason Sudeikis of all people of all people. So Jason Sudeikis. I mean, th- this movie, kind the of former shows Duke you, of Sussex, this movie kind of shows you Connor. If you imply that her marriage grants her any like due respect, um, um, you never get to call yourself Irish again. Okay. So watch your tongue. Um, <laughs> this movie opening scene, right? The first Spacey Bateman scene that tells you the space is bad. Second scene, Charlie Day being sexually harassed by Jennifer Aniston. Third scene, Bateman being like, I love my Sudeikis. job. And it Sudeikis. has Sudeikis. Sudeikis being like, I love my job. And it has some great perks. And then he in turn proceeds to sexually harass Meghan Markle. And the movie does not seem to get the like weird disconnect between literally putting those two scenes back to back. Yeah, no. Or no, I mean, I actually, actually, Cole, I think the movie does get it, but the movie's trying to say that Charlie Day should just be chill with it. Okay, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case. um, Um, I just found it really funny because when I was watching it, you know, it puts you in that half catatonic, this is a movie date. And then when I saw her, I was like, wait, is that... Meghan Markle, and then I didn't look it up, but then after I saw your dossier and it was like cameos, Meghan Markle, I'm like, it was, it was her. Remember when fucking Spotify gave her like a billion dollars to do a podcast and she only got seven episodes out? Oh boy. She fucking Uh, sucks. I'm sorry. She fucking sucks. They all fucking suck. All right. All right. Take it easy, peers. Take it easy, peers. I don't give a fucking shit. No, 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 no. She and Harry don't specifically suck. She, Harry, Kate, and fucking William suck. Like, to be clear, they well, all fucking suck. I'm not a royalist. Suck. I think it's one of the most Sounds insane, like you're a huge royalist, standing, modern. I think it's one of I the mean, most objectively insane modern Connor has outed himself as a major royalist on this episode. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Sometimes you just say things, Cole, and I like I have no idea what to say to respond to it. And I was thinking about the other day. I was like, I think I need to stick up for myself more on the pod because people are gonna start believing these things about me. But it's like it's so absurd. Why would I even you literally were just like, I can't believe how disrespectful this movie is to the Duchess of Sussex. Well, it's still like it's it's no, I'm saying more, I'm saying more that it's crazy that we live in a world 
where the Duchess of Sussex or former Duchess of Sussex, who is inherently She's like the Duchess of Sussex, one of the more is she? I thought they yes, she is. She is yeah. like okay. I don't know how that works. Then they but... they they rescinded. I fucking hate them. They rescinded their responsibilities to, but they act still have their titles as members of the royal family. They didn't abdicate their titles or their royal salaries. Like that's stupid. They Fuck fucking them. suck. They're fucking <laughs> garbage. That's stupid. But I was just saying more in the sense that like their kids suck. Could too. you imagine being somebody who? And I, I know there's like so much written about how like it doesn't actually make you important to be one of those people, but like you are important just in the sense of the symbolism of like yes. what you become a part of. And just the fact that before you got to that point, you were given this like you were thrown a bone to get yes. sexually harassed by Jason. Yes, no, I, I understand for like 30 seconds. It's just insanity. Yeah. Right? It is. Right. It is the, the whole Meghan Markle at all. Um, all right, we've we gotten a lot of Kevin Spacey. We got to talk about Jamie Fox. It's okay, yeah, we've been saving it. We don't have. Uh, sorry, I think we have to talk about Donald Sutherland first. Who? That's fine. Let's Sutherland. talk about Donald Sutherland. I think Jamie oh, Fox oh, yeah. is the climax of the episode. Right. right, we're we're Probably waiting true. for Fox. Well, Donald Sutherland is just in there so brief. It's uh... yeah, it's a waste of Donald Sutherland. Moving on. <laughs> no, Connor, do you want to do a Rushmore? I do. Sure. I would like I'd to be do excited. Rushmore. So, so Dan, this is our Mount Rushmore on the Above the Title podcast. Okay, Dan, can you describe to me what Mount Rushmore is in real life? Well, it's a monument on stolen indigenous land in um, South Dakota of the three presidents. Um, was it Washington, Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt? Right. Sorry, just to clarify, Dan. Four and who's you the think four? there are three heads on Mount Rushmore? Is well, that I don't know. Is that what they're teaching people at Emerson College? <laughs> Give me a break. I so, okay. Third, like, thank you for thank you for the description, about. Dan. It's not actually important. It, the, the the real thing isn't. An it's important the four. Thing. The, all that so, mattered was four. It doesn't matter right, that Dan four, fucked that four. up. But who's the other president? Essentially, no. Yeah, dude, uh, we don't know. We don't know. Um, essentially, Dan, instead of doing like a top five or a top ten on this podcast, we do the Mount Rushmores, which is our four picks. We are going yeah. to collectively build a list of the four best Donald Sutherland performances. Okay, and you best get the f- can be per- interpreted differently, but performances, be- not movies. Performances, yeah. not movies. You get okay. the first pick and the last pick. If you want them. All right. Um, I mean the first one's easy clue to Okay. Yeah. Should I should I Connor? Yes. yes. <laughs> I would feel hypocritical if I didn't, but I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. <laughs> uh oh, Dan, you, you you thought you okay. Um Dan on an episode of this podcast that has not no, been no. released yet. Uh Connor and I both agreed that the big problem with Clute is that Donald Sutherland's in it. I, uh, I disagree. I think he's like really Clute. good in that button. Okay, talk about it. I just think he's kind of perfect as a foil to Jane Fonda, this kind of stuffy and conservative private eye. I think he's really good when he kind of realizes throughout the film that she gets the upper hand on him through sex, and I just think it's a really good 
dichotomy. Donald Sutherland, I'll say frankly and honestly, to me has always been great as a supporting actor, like a secondary yes. kind of lead. And he plays that perfectly there to Jane Fon, even though he has more screen time or he drives the narrative maybe a bit more than Jane Fonda because he's investigating the case. He's really just a great kind of foil. And that's what I've liked him for. He's even better, I think, in cameos. But I think he's I think he's pretty great in the film. I don't know. But maybe I am biased because I love the film. But I think he's not. I just think it's funny because that we no, just okay. had that. Yeah, no, that's fine. I wouldn't expect I think that episode is released. Is it? I don't remember. It's the Ask the Dust episode, is it not? No, I think it's the fucking triage episode that we talk about Clued. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think we've released the Clued episode yet. We go on a long Clued tangent in an episode. A movie we both, to be clear, like a lot. Uh, Connor, I think you get picked too. How easy do I go with this? Like I kind of... I don't the thing with Donald Sutherland that I've been thinking about a lot is like you can kind of take his filmography until he reaches undeniable old age and you could kind of just like throw a dart at the board and anyone it lands on would be yes. like a viable option to to end up on his Mount Rushmore um the movie I'm going to pick is essentially because I don't want Cole to pick the other option uh and that will make a lot more sense in a moment but i'm going to put invasion of the body snatchers on there which i think sutherland wise is the better performance of the two like historic horror movies that he's in it's a movie that better than many others of the genre or just many others in general captures kind of the paranoia of the changing times especially as hollywood was was changing in, in in very significant ways um towards uh an industry of art an industry of expression which it still never fully became or may never fully become but uh as we left the studio system and, and turned into a tour driven mm-hmm. cinephile cinema uh i think sutherland's performance in invasion of the body snatchers kind of hits the nail on the head of what you're looking at from the best performances from the best actors at that moment in time do you guys yeah. have any screams? Fucking, yeah. It's fucking great. He screams. He does the big screen. We love he it. He does the big screen. It's awesome. He I love that movie. I, I love that he's just like he in that movie, he plays uh someone from the health department, I believe, right? Yeah, I think he so. plays like an inspector from the health department, and he is so like hyper focused, hyper organized, hyper obsessed with his job and makes him such a weirdo, but then it's like Obviously, it's revealed that the only person that would be able to instantly become grow suspicious of this crazy supernatural thing that's happening is somebody like him in that movie. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a almost perfect example of like how really interesting characterization helps the overall film as a whole keep going. Yeah. Is that your favorite of the four Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies? Oh yeah. Five if you count the faculty. Um. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite of the four. I, the uh, The first one's fun, just as that, like you know, B movie, uh, B movie horror of the fifties, I believe. Right, Dan. Which one's um, your favorite? Seagull, the fifties. Yeah, I, I, I went. I think the Don Seagull is like a near perfect movie. Can we agree that the K 
Kidman Craig one is the worst. I've never seen the Kidman I Craig seen one. It. Yeah. Um, I think the Ferrara is okay, is fine, but people like most Abel Ferrara movies from the 90s, people seem really willing to overlook how fucking obvious it is. Uh, spoiler but it's alert. It's got some good gore. To throw one yeah. spoiler alert, skip a minute ahead if you don't want to hear this, but I think the, the, Sutherland one is better than the original one. Just sure, a for lot the of fact that do. you see the dog with that guy's head on it. And the dog like with the guy's head insane. on it is, yeah. is great. I just, like I said, I think the Don Siegel one is like a perfect movie. I love um, well, the thing It's I so ob- unsettling because I do love Don Siegel. Like, yeah, that's the least surprising thing in the world. Um, not surprising you that you went for the Don Siegel one is the least surprising thing in the world, Dan. All right, cool. Uh, what are you going to hit us with? So this is the second time we've talked about Donald Sutherland mm-hmm. on the podcast. Are you going to put Ask the List? Ask the Dust on the... Uh, no, because I said he was list. bad at Ask the Dust. You forget. Yeah. Um, but when we talked about Donald Sutherland, I like went on my long rant about how insane it is that Donald Sutherland, the man who has starred in multiple Best Picture nominees and one winner. Dan, I don't even know this. Donald Sutherland, zero oscar nominations which i think is just obscene like they should have thrown up the bone at some time and i when i was ranting about that i kind of landed on two performances that in my mind were like how the fuck did neither of these get him an oscar nomination they seem tailor-made so as much as i want to be like annoying and obvious and pick the joe wright movie and be like because I like picking the Joe Wright movies. I'm really Good coming down to those two movies that strike me as the obvious ones that should get on the Oscar nomination. I Cold think I'm going to go with Ordinary People. And uh, for the record, Dan, because I don't know if you've listened to that, the other one was JFK. Um, but I do think I'm going to go with Ordinary People. And like, no disrespect to Hutton and Mary Tyler Moore and Ordinary People, who I both think are wonderful, but there's something about, like, Sutherland as the grounding force to let them, like, showcase more of the, like, wailing of the grief in that movie that I think is a smarter performance and a smaller performance than he'd often give. And for all that he's, like, the co-lead of the movie, I think he's, in a way, drifting into a supporting performance in a way that I find very hypnotic. Interesting. I like ordinary people. Should it have won yeah. Best Picture? No, but is it good? Yes. It's it's uh it's his performance in that movie. I'm yeah. trying to think of like a beautiful. corollary because I say it's this beautiful. I say this often about a lot of the actors that we talk about and their best performances and why they are their best performances. And it's it's something like, well, what I say often is that the movie simply doesn't work if you don't have that actor give that performance. Like you could yes. have. You could have the the role itself doesn't function unless you have like a supremely talented actor be able to nail every single scene that they are in, um, which is the hardest thing to embark on. Like I'm assuming as a director because you're yes. you're putting so much trust in the fact that the actor will be able to hit that on the head. And I, I I specifically think of I think the second to last scene in that movie when. He's talking to he's like drunk and it's early yeah. in the morning and he's talking to Mary Tyler Moore. And I don't think that movie works as a whole unless he is able to nail that scene in the way that he does. I, I will also say, um, you know, that performance is good because the big chill 
a bad movie is an attempt to make a movie that is what if every performance was the, the Donald, Donald Sutherland, Sutherland performance of ordinary yeah. people, right? Like how many performances have spawned an entire movie as knockoffs? <laughs> Not um, many. It's just fucking insane that he didn't get that movie won the Academy Award for Best Picture, and they put Timothy Hutton in supporting. Like you have just cleared the runway to give Sutherland an Oscar nomination, and he's not a guy that like wasn't respected by the industry. This, I mean, as yeah. I said, Clute wins Fonda her Oscar, Mash wins the Palm Door, and is a Best Picture nominee. You know, like Day of the Locust. I think doesn't Karen Black get an Oscar nomination for Day of the Locust? He's the lead in a Fellini film. So he's like, in a Bertolucci film. He, like, he's got to be yeah. sixth place like ten different times, and then weirdly. um, Tommy Lee Jones, who is like the worst performance in JFK, sucks up all the oxygen and stops him getting the JFK nomination. That's also yeah. insanity. That's also yeah. insanity. Uh, Dan, what's your what's your what's your fourth pick? Let's bring it home. Well, this is a good I'm list so to, far. I'm going to poach yours and take JFK because it's a perfect. It's, it's yeah. a brief role, but it's the most memorable film memorable scene in the film by far and it instills such a strong sense of paranoia and the groundings of the conspiracy and it's just a great throwback also to his role in the Pacula 70s yes. paranoia trilogy so I think it's just a great closing one can I mention a film oh yeah I think is bad but he's pretty good well Please. I think it's okay I don't think it's bad I sure. think it's thought like a 7 out of 10 that I think he's great in is the recent Ad Astra He's very good in Ad Astra. He had a brief part as like an elderly soldier who's sent with Brad Pitt on the mission and just a great closing scene where he essentially has a heart attack. It's not sure if he's going to live or not, but it's it's only like a 10 minute role, but he really steals the show and it's quite great. Not a bad film. I think a pretty uh, soft film. A bad bad movie, but. But you're a big I, James Gray. I, I need I need to fucking write this list out at some point. Uh, another official above the title opinion is that James Gray rules, right, Connor? Uh, I mean that that one actually is an official opinion. Yeah, the official okay, above yeah. the title opinions are: The Departed is a perfect movie, Brooklyn is a perfect movie, James Gray fucking rips, and Goodfellas is the best movie ever question yeah. like it's an unanswered question we just don't bring that the, up yeah. a lot like the other yeah. three we bring up a lot um just to bring it back to jfk though hard performance right yes like yeah like he's just rattling off exposition also like there's no x-files if donald sutherland doesn't give the jfk performance well, it's, it's no, also there's, there's Deep Throat. There's Deep Throat. There's the deep character throat. on the X-Files? Deep Throat. <laughs> Which <laughs> Deep Throat? The character on the X-Files? I am going to Hal Holbrook. jump across the screen of the Zoom and attack you. Okay. Hal I'm... Holbrook, yes. Okay, Hal Holbrook. <laughs> That's... Have you ever fucking watched the X-Files? Yeah. Okay, are you aware that there's a major character in the X-Files who is also named... No, there is a major character in the X-Files who is also named Deep Throat, who functions in a similar function to Hal Holbrook and Donald Sutherland? Like, 
All right. That's why. Well, that's what I'm specifying here. It's like, are you talking about Holbrook? Are you talking about the X Files? But you character? said there would be no X Files without that Donald Sutherland character, and you're ignoring the strange well, informant lineage, Cole. Sure, there's a strange informant lineage, but Sutherland is key to that, like trust no one paranoia that the X Files is running with. I also think you need to in in JFK. The thing about Sutherland is you need to understand that the Costner character is taking his word as gospel, that he's like not really questioning what he's being told. And you need somebody like Sutherland that commands such gravity in the middle of the scene that he's in to be able to do it. Cause if you look at his contemporaries, it's like Elliot Gould's not going to be able to pull that off. Jack Nicholson. I love Jack Nicholson. Not going to be able to pull that off in that film. There's like a whole roster of every other character actor that, grew to prominence at the same time that Sutherland did that will not be able to step in that role and pull it They're off. They're not in the movie. How Hall could have done it. And... Also, JFK fucking windmill dunks in all the presidents, man. Every That's day on twice on Sunday. So <laughs> a billion loud All the presidents making over something subtle that's all the president's men on great, one of the most specified mise-en-scenes. All the president's men is a great half of a movie. Same, they lost the second half of that movie somewhere. And it's abs- that's so stops. absolutely absurd. It's one of the most ingenious adaptations I've ever seen. It's a terrible adaptation. It's Holy a ge- shit. It's a no, it's it's it, it has its charms, even if like they'll make better newspaper movies before and since. Like it's it the has best its charms. newspaper movie of all time. What are you going that's- to put up there? Spotlight? Like, oh god. Including the Fucking scene spotlight. where Mark Ruffalo had they a, like, knew! break down some of the worst spotlight, like maybe the best acting. directed movie. It's of like the past all 10 the years. president's men without an aesthetic, just flat. Oh, it's like all the president's movie. men with an aesthetic. No, all, <laughs> all the, the president's, president's men, men has just has like flat. That movie is it's funny. Sex. It's funny is a being movie able to crap. take whole side in an argument because I never spotlight get to take whole side in an argument. It's so utterly absurd. You're not looking and you're not listening. I'm looking and listening, and fucking like. All the president's men is Pakula just being like, fucking, isn't this shot cool? Isn't this fucking shot cool? And not Spotlight really at like, all. There's actually I understand so many how editing works. Spotlight is fucking so well directed. If you watched it multiple times, Connor, can we just like, fucking just do original like Adam? You know what other you know what other movie I like better than All the President's Men? His Girl Friday. The Post. It's better than all the That's a ridiculous take. The best movie ever made oh. by anyone ever. The oh, he made the American writing film. look like a newspaper page. Oh, my You're God. You're goddamn right oh, he did. God. So the, just the, sad. Very sad. In my heart, the best Spielberg movie, The Post. Really? Uh, it's on, it was your I pick, read. wasn't it? It, it was, was your pick my on the pick Marshall. when we did Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, so Donald Sutherland's in this movie for like two seconds, and it's about as insulting as him never getting an Oscar nomination. <laughs> it is a waste of the dawn. I'm sorry. I've... I feel I'm, like we. I'm sure he was fine with the paycheck for an hour. He's a paycheck guy, so, but like, I, I'm happy he got paid. Well, he's about to have a big career like, resurgence too, because next year is Hunger Games. Yeah. Well, he's not in that one. He doesn't get cast until the third. I think. I thought he's in the first one. He's in the first one. I don't. Is he? Let's I don't think so. Up. Let's look it up. But I'm pretty sure he's in the first one. <laughs> Those movies when did are it not come good. out 2012. Oh, he is in the first one. Yeah. Okay, here's, shit. here's what yeah, I'll say. Never mind. I only ever saw the first two, and I remember thinking he was good in those movies. So he's definitely in um, the first one. Um, did you guys ever see the Burnt Orange Heresy? 
No. I just want to sidebar about this movie. This movie's really Is that the one with Mick Jagger? The Burnt Orange Heresy is like an art forgery, like slow burn thriller that's based on a novel by Charles Wilford, who wrote Cockfighter and Miami Blues. Yes, this is exactly what I was going to say. Sutherland's very good in that. Mick Jagger is like in this movie, in this movie, like he plays like one of the central characters. Incredible performance. Mick Jagger's amazing in the Burnt Orange. He, he gave good performances. Like that. I yeah. don't know that I've yeah. ever seen him because I've never seen performance. Um, um, I was going to mumble yeah. that I've never seen performance. Oh, that's um, pretty wild. You need to watch that. Don't like, like watching good, movies no. by sex pests. Uh, listen that's to the latest true. episode of You Must Remember This. Oh, which uh, kind of gets into Kamel? Yep. Not a good oh, dude. Yeah. There's a lot of nasty shit on the latest episode of You Must Remember This uh, about Donald Kamel. But yeah. I'll tell you, performance is one of um, Paul yes. Schrader's favorite movies ever. Okay. I do love Paul yeah. Schrader. He intentionally homages to it in Mishima. I like mm. four chapters. No, I don't love Mishima. I like the good Paul Schrader movies. Oh, um, okay. Back to like disagreeing with each other. Light Sleeper. Okay. <laughs> movies for adults. I'm fucking Mishima. Oh, my um, God. is so good. The All scene right. in performance, though, where like Mick Jagger suddenly starts directly singing to the camera is essentially the inception of modern music videos, like in the MTV sure. era in particular. It's really interesting. So I think it's... I like it. I will go on a hill to die for and say it's a better film than Persona in terms of split. Mm, I don't know about that. I've never I'll seen have to it. rewatch it. Yeah, I I as, feel like I disagree, but I, I would have to rewatch it to be sure. As a died in the wool Bergman agnostic, Persona is kind of undeniable. I th- no, I'm not going to deny and say it's not Persona. a phenomenal film, but I th- and right. it's probably more perfect. But performance to me is more interesting and messier in what it's depicting. And I before, mean, yeah, before we get to the main event, because we do need to start wrapping this up, we have Jamie a big Fox thing to and- talk about. Do any of you guys have anything to say about the Sutherland performance in this movie? No, just like why, why even cast him if it's this is what you're going to do to him? Cast like, him. yeah. Like the why not name on the cast? I mean, you don't need another name. If anything, this movie is too many names. If you do want another name, Donald Sutherland is not the one that's going to draw people to yeah. the door. Yeah, I mean, um, who could have played the role? Just could they have done this with any actor known? Fucking like, get well, it's Richard like, Kind in there. Just yeah, fucking it's get a, Richard Kind in there, buddy. Oh, but it's a, it's a stupid. It's a stupid. Uh, who plays the dad? Studio Tambor. comedy. So. Just get Denver anybody that yeah. Just in, just get anybody from any popular sitcom from the previous twenty years. Ed O'Neill. Why is Ed O'Neill not in this movie? Right, like anyone. <laughs> Ed O'Neill would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. Sutherland is like it's insulting that he's in this. Um, Sutherland have you is ever like seen I, the episode of Miami Vice where Ed O'Neill plays like an undercover FBI informant and like a kind of busted porno good. ring. It's yeah. so good. He's like, I was riding an adrenaline high. No one could stop. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, all right. Get out of the way, Dan. What's your first pick on Fox least. Rushmore? Fox Rushmore, then we'll talk about this movie. Yeah. Fox Rushmore? Fox yeah. Rushmore. Miami Vice. What a shock. Bad pick. Are you vetoing it? Bad pick. No, I'm not vetoing it. it? If but you want he's... me to pick another one, I'll nope. do it. I have another one lined up. I'm not vetoing it, but it's a bad pick. As Cole and I talked about, he's like kind of the worst part of the of Miami Vice. <laughs> All right, fine, I'll change it then. No, don't 
You, you don't can't change, change it. it. You don't have to change it. it. You can't, right, you can't change it. I stand Can by Can you say it. why you like it? You see his butt. It's a good butt. It it's is a good really butt. good As butt. Cole Can says, I though, it? Can I Cole thinks it? it's somebody else's butt. Can I, I do think it's someone else's butt. Um, nope. Locked and loaded. defend it now? Defend it. I feel like Charlie Day out of the three where you're all like kind of Defend it. You're going to have to defend it anyways. Yeah. But it's based on perform. I think I went for film when I should have gone. Yeah, for you performance. did. I did okay. it by instinct. Okay. Right, you're I'll making a good. You're making a good case. You're you're you get them all a good again. Case. We'll let you pick another one. Okay, then collateral. Yeah. Yep, there we go. <laughs> I mean, he's perfect in the film. He carries it. He adds like so much heart and nuance to what I think is a pretty kind of it's a good but pretty straightforward and somewhat dry genre thriller script and i think it's just an example of how great casting can really elevate something to make it unique like the conflicts he has and the dichotomy with all of the characters in the film whether it's tom cruise or jada pinkett smith or his mother uh i like how he also does a great job of embodying this kind of reluctant but necessary hero in the moment which could be you know just intensely corny but he does it pretty perfectly kind of he feel like he's such a big movie star at that point but he completely sheds that and he just feels like a cast he's, he's not at that point yeah. Not at that uh, point, no. Pretty big. He's no, about he's a, to become one. In he's like about three to weeks. become a big yeah. movie star. But he's a pretty yeah. big, he's a name. He's a name. I'll, no, he's a name, but he's not an A-lister yet. I'll tell you right now exactly how long until he becomes a movie star. Uh, so that movie okay. came out on August 6th in 2004. And Ray he's got came two out months, two months. on October 29th, 2004. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he's about to become an A-lister. Um he should have won the Oscar for that. It's his best performance. It's his best performance. I think so, yeah. That yeah. should have been his Oscar win. It's one of his two nominations, right? Only what did two? he win for? Ray? Fucking yeah. Ray. And then have they... they... Yeah, I've seen Ray. Connor? It's not good. I've seen He's Ray. not good in it. I've He's not good Ray. in it. Yeah. I haven't seen um, it. That's why they give you him, don't have they... to watch it. Or just, just watch a video of him doing one of the yeah. songs on YouTube and you'll like understand. Yeah, it's one of his two uh, Oscar nominations. Because uh, he gets a supporting actor nomination that year, even though he's the fucking lead of the movie, because they couldn't nominate him for both Ray and Collateral and lead. Mm. Uh, he's great in Collateral. Uh, so much better than Sandler would have been. Gonna throw that out there. I, it would I like have been think- too stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. I, I like thinking about the Sandler, but Jamie Foxx is great. Um, okay. Wouldn't it be funny if I picked Miami Vice right now? <laughs> it would be pretty hilarious, but like, I don't know why you would do that. Um, Can I tell you my runner-up? No, because you get another pick. Yeah, you have a second pick. Oh, all right. I'm I'm yeah. nervous now. I'm just um, on a vet. We have a veto that we can use. All right, all right. Uh, all right. We're just saving him for an emergency. I wasn't um, going to veto it. I just like yeah. I had stated on the Miami Vice episode I know, I that I think funny. that Jamie Fox is the worst part of that movie, and, and he just he seems so disinterested, and he Bruce. also like tanked the movie. Yeah, he did tank the movie. Um. I could do something really funny right now, which is that I could preempt Connor and take any given Sunday away from Connor. Um, or I could pick the Blame It video, uh, which we've talked about many times on this podcast. Do you Dan, like do you any know, given Sunday, though? I love any given Sunday. Dan, do you okay. like, do you know the Blame It video? No, I know the song you're talking about. You know the song. About. So the Blame It video 
is Jamie Foxx rolling up to the club with a posse of fucking A-listers, right? Like he he rolls up in a car and Jamie Foxx gets out of the car and then coming out of the car with him are his fucking boys. And he's brought the whole crew with him. Connor, do you want to tell Dan who the fucking crew is yeah. in the Blame It video? Okay, well, you got T-Pain, right? T-Pain? Yeah. And I don't remember who any of the other guys are. But I'll, I'll do it then. I'll do it. No, don't do it. <laughs> Forrest Whitaker, Samuel wow. L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, oh, Ron Howard. <laughs> Man, have, has he and Gyllenhaal been in a movie together? The fucking kingdom. Isn't Gyllenhaal I, in the Gyllenhaal kingdom? Gyllenhaal was not in the kingdom. Could have sworn Gyllenhaal was in the kingdom. I know um, they've been in something. Yeah, yeah, they had to have been in something. Oh, Jarhead. no, no, Jarhead. 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 Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm not picking the Blame It video. I just love the Blame It video. Um... Connor, I told you to watch this. I don't know if you've seen this. Dana, I'd be shocked it. if you see it. So you know what I'm going I with. I do know what you're going with. Yeah. Um, my pick is uh they clone Tyrone. He's so good. Um He's and so I, good. I I I talked about this when they clone Tyrone came out because you know, and Connor, we talked about this on the Miami Vice episode that Jamie Foxx has been in this like career slump lately yeah. that he's just been getting like dodgy projects that aren't clicking and then obviously had this major health scare but right on the tail of him getting out of the hospital came this movie they cloned tyrone dan have you seen this no i haven't this movie is okay it's a bit of a mess it's a bit derivative of better more interesting movies but jamie fox plays this like mid-level pimp in this movie um, caught up in this sci-fi conspiracy. And it really is just a clinic of why we fell in love with Jamie Foxx in the first place. It is just sheer star wattage joke delivery device, like brilliant. Can't take your eyes off them on the screen performance. Um, Netflix released a great blooper video. That's just Boyega and Tana Paris, like ruining take after take because his improv is too good. Um, it's like everything you want out of Jamie Foxx, the movie star, just crystallized in this, again, mid-level movie that is almost underserving him as a performer, but he is like finally locked back into that like pure energy that he brought in a movie like Ali, that like he brought in his fucking stand-up sets, even going back to In Living Color, that like comedic genius that made us all fall in love with him just like honed over the decades of his career um it's just a, a, a delightful performance I, I i i was so captivated by it connor yeah. i don't know if we ever talked about the movie beyond me telling you to watch it we haven't because i watched it this week okay um and i didn't want to reach out to you to talk about it sure that's fine did this um i i do think that the movie if the first I don't know the timestamp, but I'm guessing like it's the first 40 minutes. If you just separated that as like yeah. a short film, it, it, it'd be like one of the most dynamic. Uh, yes. Like are fully powerful, aesthetically powerful short films that where you could kind of just luxuriate in, in the actual feel, tone, look, mood of the the cinematography and the sound design and, and even just like the way the actors are behaving on screen. Um, it's not until it, it really, really, really like heavily plots itself down with this kind of B movie, yes. um, B movie concept that it's running with, which is, it's kind of cool. Um, 
considering the movie itself is like a throwback to B movie black exploitation films of of a earlier period. But uh, yeah, that opening that opening segment when you're kind of just thrust with like this is the way this movie is going to feel at least for a while there's yes there, there there's been few other experiences i've had watching a movie this year that have felt better yes. than that or the last few years I, I i guess my hang up is just that like this movie is so trying to be sorry to bother you and mm, is like yes. so kind of whiffing we're sorry to bother you fucking just like sinks shots from across the court I think that's uh, the deal, though, is like because the beginning of the movie is its own thing. Yes. Like the beginning, the beginning of the movie, of the movie is... is very clearly its own work and yes. its, its own sentiment and its own piece. And then when it starts becoming Sorry to Bother You or Get Out or any of the Get Out is another one. Weirdly yeah. Black Dynamite is another one. Um, I've never seen. Have you guys seen the movie Darktown Strutters? No, I I heard I heard someone. I've never seen Darktown Strutters, which is a black exploitation parody yeah. musical. Um, that Tarantino really likes. I've never seen it, but I heard someone mention it on a podcast, and it does sound like a lot of the plot of They Clone Tyrone is lifted from Darktown Strutters. Um, oh, well, a lot of it, I can tell you right now, and Kiefer Sutherland is in They Clone Tyrone, yes. and a lot of it's it quite is good like it. dark. A lot of it is like Dark City. Yes, Dark City. Like, yeah. It's synthesizing a lot of stuff. I don't know that it fully clicks at all. Have you, have you seen Dark City? Yeah. Me? Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, Cole. Have you seen yes. Dark City? Yeah, of course I've yeah. seen Dark City. Is, 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 the, is the last like, right. two thirds yes. of it not almost very the dark, city. Thing as dark yes. city? Yes. Yeah. Um, how's Jamie so, in it, though? He's great. He's fucking I mean, great. He, I'm trying to think of like a similar kind of. This happens every once in a while where you have an actor who is really hot for a period of time, then goes on the cold burner for a while and then is able to like step in and just. They're not really burdened with having to be the driver of the film but they're allowed to like prove to you why they were important all those years ago but it's also that he's coming back and he's doing the exact thing again like it's not like he's reinventing himself like colin in the lobster right it's like no he's coming back and all of a sudden he's back at a hundred percent the jamie fox star icon it's also it's also this thing where it, it this happens a lot more with television. It doesn't I think about this very often with television. I don't see it as often in movies. I think maybe because movies are uh, can be a little more manicured because there's less screen time and the filmmakers can play around mm-hmm. with the structure of it in in the edit and stuff like that. But I do see a lot of this in television, especially Netflix miniseries-esque projects where it's a lot of up and coming actors and filmmakers who are given the opportunity to make a miniseries and it's typically the cast list is filled out with a bunch of unknowns and then one person who's like a historic movie star or one person who's been very acclaimed on the stage and has been in movies for a very long time and it does have that feeling of like oh, this person is clearly out acting and outclassing all the other people that they share screen time with and it's not that that happens and they clone Tyrone, but it's kind of a wonder to like see John Boyega, who I admittedly love and like really appreciate and a lot of the stuff I've seen him in. Of course. And Tiana Paris, who I also think is great. But great. then get matched up with Jamie Foxx doing Jamie Foxx and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is a movie star. Yeah. 
You look at yeah. Jimmy Fox compared to them and you're like, oh yeah, this is a guy that's like up to that extra level. He's going to the Hall of Fame like type of type of shit going on. You, you get what I mean in terms yeah. of like that dynamic there? Um, Before you go to your pick, Connor, uh, we have to mention it because we're talking about Jamie Fox. Hey, Dan, you ever heard of All-Star Weekend? No. <gasps> I, 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 we've told it's the reason this. it's the reason he was in movie jail hollywood yeah jail. it's the reason yeah. his career so all-star weekend is jamie fox's directorial debut this movie was shot in the year of our lord 2016 the man will not let jamie fox release all-star weekend he has given interviews like before his health care being like i've given up on trying to get it released it's finished Connor- the movie it's, is oh, it's done. It's yeah. done. It's in the can. They won't release it. Connor, would you like to tell Dan why the man is keeping Jamie Foxx's movie under lock and key? Dan, have you heard of a little actor named Robert Downey Jr.? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. That's very on brand for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know how Robert Downey Jr. Uh, kind of flirted with some morally ambiguous he, racial he's some bad decisions in, in Tropic Thunder. yep yeah so imagine if uh in jamie fox's directorial debut robert downey jr appears as a mexican man in the movie allegedly would, probably would not be the best move for yeah. him they will never especially at it. a time especially at a time when disney marvel is like conquering the planet oh yeah it's like peak and, marvel yeah <laughs> all right Connor, tell us about any given Sunday. His name is Willie. Willie Beeman. No, I mean, <laughs> he gets to sing a song. I guess he raps it. I'm not going to do it right now because it would be horrible. But yeah, Oliver Stone's NFL <laughs> epic, which isn't about the NFL, but I wish it was. <laughs> any given Sunday, um, the football movie from 99, I think. Is that correct? It might be. It might have bled over into 2000. Yeah, it's is, is Oliver Stone's 90s rules also an official above the title opinion yes 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 yeah that's that's clearly that's clearly an official opinion that we yeah. have put out there um jamie fox plays essentially <laughs> pre-legal issues michael vick but like four years before michael vick became like the biggest thing in the history of the nfl which is this is insane but yeah he plays a dual threat quarterback who gets put in after he's the third string quarterback on the team and both the starting the starting quarterback and the second string quarterback get injured in the first five minutes of the film and jamie fox it's like willie beeman's time to shine gets thrown into the game by head coach al pacino and takes them to the playoffs uh and it's oliver stone losing his mind um clearly i think a lot of cocaine was ingested uh by all people involved in making this film uh al pacino gives a a, either amazing or horrible speech (laughs) at the film's end um the the number one thing i can say about any given sunday is that oliver stone had the foresight to overlay shaky cam images of football players running ferociously across the field with sounds of lions and other wild animals like the the trumpets of elephants and the roars of lions and any other kind of like ferocious animalistic sound you can imagine that's what you hear as you see lawrence taylor as the middle linebacker of this miami team run down the field to demolish a running back on the sideline i don't even know where where to start how to end cole 
Yeah. But Jamie Foxx is great. Yeah. Uh, is Oliver Stone the best political filmmaker of all time? No. You sure? Sure about that? No. no. Sure about that? No. No. He made Nixon. No, that's not a political film. That's a bio- Yeah, it is. It's not a with politics. It's not a real political film. No. Mm. Hammer Capra, probably, right? Or Bay. Bay's that is up there. So not utterly it's not mm. annoying. It's, not Bay. it's yeah. Tony. It's Tony Scott, right? Is the best political yes. filmmaker of yeah, all time. Sure. Yeah. Deja yeah. vu, yes. Yeah. All right, Dan, fourth pick. Jamie Foxx, bring it home. The four best Jamie Foxx performances. Collateral. They clone Tyrone any given Sunday. And you could pick Miami Vice, man. Ali. Yeah, of course it was going to be fucking Ali. He's great. Yeah, Ali. he's great in it. He's, I think, I like how we bully Dan into class. leaving the one Michael Mann movie for the other two Michael, <laughs> Michael Mann movies. Man. Yeah. yeah, well, he's great in it. It's one of his best. Bundini. That's awesome. Bundini Brown. Yeah. Bundini Brown. He's so good when he shows up when he like is outside Ali's house. And he just walks up to Ali and he's just like, I'm an important part of your life now. Correct me if I'm wrong, we've... but Colin Farrell may be wearing the same makeup that Maybe. Jimmy Fox wears. Uh, a, a, a movie we've disagreed on in the past, Connor, Ali. Um, I, not but... not to the extent that I think you believe that we have. Yeah. Uh, a movie Connor thinks is fine. Is that fair to say? I I think stylistically it's incredible. I think it's very well directed. I think Will Smith just like doesn't yeah. live up and, to what's required of him. Uh, yeah. A movie I think is one of Michael Mann's best movies, and Will I Smith should have won the Oscar. Cole, yeah, I yeah. think it's. I think it's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, I think the opening is kind of the um, best thing he ever did. Uh, yeah, the opening of Ali I agree. is the best thing in the entire and, Michael um, Mann oeuvre. No, the the best thing in the entire Michael Mann filmography is the Ferrari ride in the pilot episode of Miami Vice. That's the he best did thing. not direct that. He, didn't direct he, he it, had yeah. a, he did enough of that. No, that's him. someone else. No. It's on him. It's, it's on not him. on him. It's not well, on him. no, Connor is right because he oversaw the stylistics of the show and he was yeah. the showrunner itself. So he ousted your He wasn't the showrunner. He was. He ousted no, he's, Yurkovich during He's not the first ever season. credited as showrunner. I know he, he had an it's important not, role. Hulk, showrunner is not a credit on TV. It's generally executive it, producer or created by. Yeah. Oh, my Jamie God. Jamie Foxx in the film Horrible Bosses is fine. Oh. He's okay, I guess. I, I think. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about Motherfucker Jones in the, in the film the Horrible Bosses. The, well, that's that's what I'm about to say. Is <laughs> yeah. that w- once you get to Jamie Fox and you realize that Jamie Fox is in this movie and Jamie Fox is being used in this way in this movie, and again, this is before Jamie Fox went to Hollywood jail and was only allowed to be in bad stuff or nothing at all. That is when it becomes very clear that like, oh no, I'm watching a bad film and this thing is not going to get better. It's only going to progressively yeah. get worse as I continue My watching it. Until take the- is. Um... It's a. I agree. It's a bad movie. I actually think he's genuinely pretty funny in it, and he's doing his best with just awful material. And I'm. It's like the Sutherland thing. He's in it very briefly, but I'm happy he got paid. I like him, so it's like he seemed to have a fun and non-negative time. So it's like I'll take that as it is. And he's. I think actually and that's the only part of the movie where they're interacting with him where the leads feel like they have some rapport yeah. versus like with spacey 
there's not much of a direct there's he has i guess what i'm saying is like you have jimmy fox and clearly they didn't have him for the entire production they probably had him for one day maybe that was all they could afford he's not on the poster which tells me they didn't pay him much because it, it tells me that it's like a robin williams and aladdin thing where they couldn't use him much in the marketing yeah but it's clear it's clear like i guess what i'm trying to say is once you get to that point where he shows up and it's like here is this untapped resource that you have, and this is the best you can muster. Yeah. Yeah. This is the best you can give us. It's like so you can the- put some tattoos on his head, which apparently he, uh, similar yeah. to Colin Farrell, like he was, he played a very strong hand supposedly in the aesthetic look of his character. Um, and then it's like, this is it. You just have well, untapped oil under the ground. Like, please funny? get some of it out for me. What's funny is there's the bit where he's like, oh, I was actually arrested for bootlegging. And all I could think of was the Seinfeld where Kramer has the friend who's making them film <laughs> movies illegally. And I'm like, that was way funnier. I wish I could just watch Can that we... during this. Brief sidebar, because this is blowing my mind. Um, apparently, there's a the, the the version of Bottoms that is circulating around pirate sites is a fucking in-theater cam rip. I did not think that was still like an actual thing people seriously did anymore. Oh no, dude. Most of the well, because you don't pirate movies. I don't. Yeah. I figured they were ripping, they were like stealing nah. files when they hit streaming. No, nah, almost every so the ones the ones that are the ones that are mostly just files are it's clear that it is like a screener that was sent to somebody yes. that they like screened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you want to watch the movie like when it's in theaters and not on streaming yet, if it's a big movie where it's one where it's like Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, they're not sending that to screeners. They're inviting them to screenings. They're like, you can come to, I don't know, somewhere downtown. I just figured they were fucking like leaks from within the studio. Because what what I was going to say was the pirated version of like Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse was like a guy with a movie camera inside. No, 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 no. This is actually untrue because Philip Lord has talked about this. The pirated version of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is the the new one is actually a screener they sent out because um it wasn't finished. And that's where a lot of the like there were multiple copies of this movie going around thing okay whatever that, that. Is, it's, i yeah. was just throwing a title sorry, out sorry, sorry. probably like, probably yeah. the pirated version of the new mission impossible movie that'll is like believe a guy me. in a theater yeah i just didn't know people still did that that's so cute uh the funniest yeah. joke in this movie is jamie fox saying snow falling on cedars have you seen uh, that movie because i know it's a funny title though um but like the gag of this character is like this is a guy who's portraying himself as like a tough guy who's actually just like some dude who's scamming them and they just assume he's a killer because he's black and like is that a funny joke yes Um, does it it make the movie worse yes it could have executed but it also fundamentally makes the movie worse because it's going back to what i said at the beginning that like no one in this movie gets to actually be a bad person except for the three horrible bosses you know, like he can't have actually killed someone because if he had actually killed someone, he's not like a fun guy you want to hang out with in the sequel. Snow falling so, on cedars is about uh, Japanese internment, and sure. uh, Robert Richardson was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Cinematography. That's great. Okay. Moving on. Who directed it? Uh, Scott Hicks directed it. Scott Hicks. Oh, this fucker. 
Fucking Shine. Fucking Shine's such a piece of shit movie. Fuck you, Scott Hicks. I hate you. I hate Shine. Have you guys seen Shine? I haven't seen no. Shine. It I fucking sucks ass. It. it won Jeffrey Rush an Oscar and was nominated for Best Picture. And I am sorry, starts like the 90s Australian boom. Boz Lerman doesn't break through in Hollywood if Shine doesn't come out. Like... Shine's a big deal movie. It just sucks ass. Your boy Noah Taylor, that's his the... first big movie. So in the Jamie Foxx scenes, it's like they reference these other movies. I, the Snow Falling yeah. on Cedars one, I haven't seen that movie. That reference means nothing to me. It's but a in funny the, title. In the original scene, it is a funny title. And it's like, it's funny that if he was pirating a movie, he's pirating like an Oscar bait. E- exactly. That's the joke. Chairman. Yeah. And not and not like Independence Day or, or something yeah. like that. Um. But in the in the initial scene, this is what I'm leaning into where you're like, oh, no, this is not a good movie is when they keep referencing Strangers on a Train. Isn't that initial Motherfucker Jones? Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's the that's the second Motherfucker Jones. Scene. Oh, it's the second. There's yeah. three, right? There's and three. The and then he shows yeah. up at the end to, like, help save the day, which sucks ass. But that's not Jamie <laughs> Foxx's fault. That's the script. Yeah. yeah. And there's uh, three Motherfucker Jones scenes, though. When does he show up at the end? He's, he's he blackmails Aniston. He blackmails Aniston. Oh, yes. yeah. The 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 last scene in the movie is them like putting Aniston in an entrapment thing where they yeah. catch her sexually molesting someone, um, and Jamie Foxx is like filming it because he knows how to use a camera. Yeah, now, that's because that's his safe. That's cat screenwriting, Dan. Right there. Okay. Yeah, um, I, look, it is. I'm giving that to you. I, I'm not. I'm not going to go on a save the cat defense of the film. Sounds I, like you fucking love save the cat. But, but what I'm going to say is, when they start referencing strangers on a train, yes. and I know they also reference the Devito movie that's like inspired the remake of Strangers on a Train. Yeah, yeah, throw Mama off the train. Yeah, yeah. but they're they're primarily referencing strangers on a train and. Then you just start thinking inherently as the viewer of this movie, as anybody that's seen movies before, you just start thinking like, oh, I would rather just see a parody of Strangers on a Train than this movie that I'm currently watching. Man, you disagree yeah. with me? that'd yeah. be great. That sounds yeah. awesome. So the movie itself, the movie itself is giving you a proposal of a better yeah. movie. I well, mean, one, it, I... one, it's saying it's giving you two better movies. It's like you could watch these two better movies instead of this one. And then it's I mean, also giving you the proposal of a blueprint to a better movie than the one that you're watching. There's a lot of good qualities about the concept that I just don't think are properly yeah. executed because it leans on like so many lazy comedic tropes of the time period. Like I'm on the record as thinking that it would be much more interesting if you did it you can still make it a black comedy but much more stripped down and kind of realistic becomes a lot more uncomfortable to experience and if they just and if they added on 20 more minutes to kind of expand some of the characters and make them do either likable or unlikable things it would have had more meat to it i guess Dan, i'm sorry but the last thing i want in this world is 20 more minutes of this fucking movie well that's literally know, like right. the last thing i want to experience. well no yeah, but in yeah. our movie, i get what you're saying movie the, the, the I get best what you're thing saying, about though. this movie is that it is blessedly 95 is that minutes it just long ends and, then it's yeah, like it and again did you critics, like the use critics the at, the time, at the beginning critics at the time were oh, like this is a great movie this, this really is funny. literally yeah. the first thing i wrote down in this movie is because this movie starts with the Spoon song. And the literal, my first note was, what did Spoon do to deserve this? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, can I, I shout out a good joke? I, it, this left my brain, but I wrote. This oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I want to. I want to say one first. They also accidentally they ac- they accidentally find like a really funny motif in this movie that they don't explore that they explore in the second one, which is that motherfucker Jones is really really bad at negotiating and like progressively gets worse. Yeah, at it's a it's an okay first draft of a joke. In the second one, it's it's like genuinely funny because he like he'll he starts off in the second one he's like i want 51 percent of your company and they're like absolutely not like that'll never happen that he's like how about like how about like 0.2 percent and then like some dividends and like stuff like that they're like okay i mean that sounds reasonable it's just it's just funny that it's like they didn't realize it in the first movie and then while they were watching the first movie they were like oh that would be a funnier joke and then they do it in the second one yeah one one thing about this movie, unrelated, but I saw my notes. I just wanted to mention it. This is like the the only time watching this movie where I was like, for all that I've outlined, why I think this movie is like a cancer on the development of comedy. There's one scene where I was watching this movie and I was like, mm, we did used to be a proper country, um, and that's there's a scene of Charlie Day on a stakeout in a car, and he's listening to the most 2009 song of all time. Which is that's not my name by the Ting Tings, um, which and Cole is going to close this episode out with instead of him now. And he's doing. singing, he's singing along. Charlie Day is singing along to the song, and this has been in my brain recently because I was just like two days ago, it just stumbled on my Twitter feed. But the scene, have you guys seen Easy A? Yeah, no. one of the great American films, a perfect movie. There's there's the big it's scene. Pretty it's pretty Easy, good, man. Last movie. Um, there's a big scene in Easy A, Connor, where she sings to Natasha Benningfield's Pocket Full of Sunshine. Yeah, better song and, than than That's Not My Name. Mm, I don't know. Um, Undeniably better song. Mm, I don't know. Um, this is a thing we've lost in studio comedies, though. There used to be enough money going around that you would commit to the song on set. And they would never do that today. Do you get what I'm and saying? You would write it into the script. You would, would write like, it into the script. Yeah, and you would whatever it happens, this song is going to be in the movie. To the joke of, isn't it funny to see the movie star singing badly? When was the last time that happened in a comedy? Oh, man. You would ne- <laughs> you ne- they never do shit like that anymore because they don't want to commit to anything that seriously. I really have no idea. As someone who watches a shit ton of straight to streaming comedies and likes quite a few of them, the, 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 they don't think about music in that way. All right. We've been going for three hours. Uh, I have to go see uh, a fucking Denzel Washington movie. Uh, do we have any last thoughts on the worst movie we've talked about in this podcast that I fucking hate so much? I, American Outlaws is still worse. Nope. 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 American okay. Outlaws is more interesting than this movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's trying- more interesting just. Your weird application of his historical yeah, context. Yeah, that's all very interesting. Um, we Sam haven't talked about Aniston really at all in this. Yeah, she's bad. She's bad. I think she's good. She's I just bad. don't think she's doing anything. Like comparison to Alexander, that's probably harder to sit through because it's longer, no. but it's just no. so weird and miscalculated. No. And there's much Alexander more Alexander is mentally better. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. so much on the surface to appreciate, like with the budget and the set design, which is at least more distracting. Where here I made the equivalent, it's like turning on like the nightly news, it's just unregisterable. I mean, it's not poor, I'm not in the cold mm-hmm. camp, but it's so bland that it's like I kind of just uh, I've two. And one thing I'll note is like 
Connor, for example, a few minutes ago, forgot that the Jamie Foxx character was filming at the end. That speaks to the quality yeah. of the movie where we watched it a night ago or this morning and we're already... I watched it twice. You're already, Why already would you... forgetting... I watched it once yesterday and once today. Why and would still you do forgot that? that, that happened. Yeah, that's... Why would you do that? And I watched Horrible Bosses too. That I understand. And I watched I, Strangers on a Train this morning when I woke up. That's a great time. Like, okay, I get that you're unemployed, Connor, but like... <laughs> Please end the strike. Please end the strike. Everybody out there. I know you can't um, hear this because the strike has already ended once yeah. this episode comes out. I think we should we should call it, though. Um, I want to just give an antidote yeah. why the second one is an infinitely better movie, despite not being a good movie. Sure. The second one, once they... Once they place the structure of it being like a hostage heist scenario they do the thing they do the thing where they show you ahead of time like this is how we're going to pull it off when it's like a hyper montage always good that disguises everything like that and then when you're watching it actually happen it almost immediately goes wrong because the sudeikis character was supposed to plant a burner phone and he was watching like a hot girl jog by and he planted his his own phone, his personal phone, like in the location instead. And it's just like, it's examples like that where it's like the thing immediately goes wrong because of how stupid these people are. And the movie understands that these people are fucking stupid and fucking idiots and like bad human beings and everything like that. And it's just yeah. a better movie. This this version of the movie, like if you apply the if you apply the logic of Horrible Bosses 2 to this one, to the hitman scenario, you would get it, you would get a more enjoyable more coherent movie to watch but the problems of tone like the dark comedy because they're killing they want to kill people or they are killing people will still exist so i just don't know what to make of it and i don't know what to make of this moment of american comedy movie making because clearly clearly as we can say from 2023 looking backwards it's like we didn't know where we were heading in the terms of making manageable size budget comedies at this moment in time and it like led to basically like the apocalypse of this genre of picture. I, I think I think they're starting to come back. Uh I would hope. I mean, I know Bottoms kind of bombed. Um, which is a shame because it's well, a good Bottoms, movie. Bottoms bombed because it has like the hardest pitch of Bottoms of any Bottoms movie bombed because the um gotta be I'm gonna be rude for a second. Bottoms bombed because the target audience for bottoms um doesn't leave their house and is too poorly socialized to talk to a service worker. Like let's be perfectly honest, that's what's going on with bottoms, right? Um good movie. I liked it. I, I hate it. how it's shot. I could scream for hours about how poorly bottoms is shot, but it's a good I, movie. I will watch it, but I really did not like Shiva Baby and I was kind of Yeah, you famously like, hate Shiva Baby. I do hate Shiva Baby and I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I don't need to see it. But right no now. hard feelings made money. No hard feelings making money like makes me confident that things are going to come back. The thing with no hard see, feelings though is no hard is that feelings it rules. suffers from a lot of the same issues that horrible bosses suffers from. Nope. Don't even don't you dare even compare the two. It's <laughs> it's much better, but it has a lot of the same issues. What issues? The same issues of like, it doesn't understand what what balance it needs on the live wire act that it's trying to oh, pull off. I it think doesn't it understand nails that. this dichotomy between like the realism of like like this movie. There's there's a dichotomy between like 
being treated horribly by your boss and hating your boss and hating work is like a real yes. thing that many people in this country sure. suffer from. And a movie like Office Space leans begins with like the hyper realistic route of like this is an exaggerated version of working in this scenario and it like progressively gets more absurd and out of hand as the movie can progresses. i say one wacky thing about um horrible bosses sure i think and this might sound completely irrelevant i think it would be a lot better and more believable if they didn't shoot it and film it in la part if of it took my place in like if it took place in a city that like feels like it is in a location like cleveland or something like yeah. that. Like cleveland or just like a tech city like it would have been like office space it's in california but it feels yeah. like one large extended tech campus in yeah. mall. there's a kind of drabness that makes it more interesting or they could have even filmed in culver city for example the neighboring city which has those types of glass mini glass prison buildings and it would have made their brief trek there kind of funnier but it's office space is also if we're going to compare it to that which is like the obvious comparison i think especially because aniston is in both films so you're already thinking about it when you're watching yeah good in office space man she's so good in it but one of the things about office space too is like how impeccably structured it is just from like a plot scenario because the movie begins almost like the office the television show which like i'm saying it's like an exaggerated take on on reality on these like real yeah. struggles that people have and then it's like the second this guy the the failed hypnotism that happens at the occupational therapy is when it like un- it's when it unlocks the gate and it can like get unleashed into this absurdism that it wants to like start snowballing into that's not something that these bad studio comedy share it's like there's a diegetic reason for the movie being as funny as it's about to get. Yeah, well, and there's it, like, deliberate, it feels deliberate. Whereas this, yeah. it just, as I mentioned, it's so flat and shapeless. It, it could be, and this is what some of the reviews stated, but in a positive way. I feel like if this was less raunchy and PG-13 based in humor, this could be like a CBS sitcom almost. Like it just feels... It's like, kind of shocking no. that it's not... Like no, a, no, NBC. this movie does not have the level no. of craft of a fucking CBS sitcom. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. The, those, those things are fucking well, say what you will about them. Those things are fucking well-oiled machines. Like this movie could not, is like aspiring to that level of competency. And again, critics thought this was good in, in 2011. Same. I was about to say, I, I I forgot yeah. this, but uh, I was looking at the snow falling on Cedar uh Wikipedia page and Ebert gave that movie three and a half stars, uh, the most Ebert of, of star ratings. Uh, mm. You know what else Roger Ebert gave three and a half stars? Horrible <laughs> bosses. Fucking horrible bosses. I know the yeah. man was dying, but I am sorry. That's obscene. Uh, yeah. What was 20 before? Before we log off, let me just take. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm about to collapse this. Yeah, give me eleven. A bad year for movies. Give me one second here, because I kind of just want to know what the deal was like why we were kind of this open like why we were open to saying that this was a good movie so i'm just gonna take a look at what we what we're working well this movie opened at number two we talked about this movie being a hit let me pull up the the opening weekend for this movie because i think it's interesting um so he opens behind transformers 3 you ready for the rest of the top 10 this this weekend, Connor? Because it's bad. Like, this is what's going oh on. God. 2011 is a bad year for movies. Okay. Should I? Like, give, no, give, me, not gonna, give me hints. Give me hints. No, I'm just going to run through them because I, I, we, we're we running long. 
Okay. Number one, Transformers 3. Number two, this. Number three, also new this week, Zookeeper. Oh, God. Kevin James. Cars 2. <laughs> the worst bad, Pixar movie. Bad Teacher. Is Bad Teacher bad? It's fine. It's whatever. Compared to uh, this, is it like watching like, The Godfather? Compared to this, it's fucking His Girl Friday. Um, <laughs> number six is Larry Crown, directed by Tom Hanks. I've never seen it. Uh, Super 8. Have seen it. Don't like it very much. Not a very good movie. Um, Monte Carlo, the 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 first Selena Gomez starring vehicle. The the one of the Selena Gomez movies where they take a um Hillary Duff movie and just remake it with Selena Gomez. Sure, I could not tell you. Um, it's Mr. the Lizzie Popper's- McGuire movie, but what's sure. Selena Gomez? Yeah. I, you know more about Monte Carlo than I do. <laughs> All I know about Monte Carlo is that every time I try to like look up. The Ernst Lubitsch film Monte Carlo on Letterboxd. It always wants to point me <laughs> to the Selena Gomez one. Oh God. Um, number nine is Mr. Popper's Penguins, and number 10 is Green Lantern. It, it is not stated. Like 2011 was like a disastrously bad year for movies, and like something needed Better to change. Yeah. Something Green needed Lantern, to change. Green Lantern is, I'm not gonna say might be, it definitively is the worst movie I've ever seen in a movie theater, and like by far the worst experience I've ever had watching a movie. Never seen Green Lantern. It is probably good because uh when's Martin Campbell ever made a bad movie? Memory. Memory fucking rules. Shut the pretty awful, dude. Memory's incredible. Memory's better than Casino Royale. Okay. I'm just gonna put that shit out there right now. Bridesmaids came out in 2011. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Why couldn't this be more like Bride? Just go with it came out. Better for better Jennifer. Never seen just go with it. Um, All right. We're gonna wrap it up. Dan, I would ask you if you wanted to plug anything, but full warning, we have no idea when this episode's going to come out. So um because because dan we don't we don't want to publicize struck work is yeah this episode is coming out five weeks after the sag strike ends so Mm. plug away with that in mind that it could be months uh nothing to plug um i'm just happy to be here on the podcast with some of my best friends and i feel bad because I've bailed a couple of times and you've been so forgiving and letting me come back here. And I'm happy. I'd be love to come back and do this again, including I'll take the bottom rungs. Those are the most fun to me. So, Uh, well, speaking of bottom rungs, uh, join us next week for a little Craig. I haven't seen it. I I thought it was like fine. Uh, My expectation of it is that it'll be fun. Craig Gillespie vampire film. I might watch it. Here's what I'll say. Admittedly, I have not seen Fright Night since it came out. Fright Night, the good one, is one of my favorite movies of all time. I have gotten a lot better at not feeling like bad adaptations are disrespectful. Um, So we'll see what I feel about it. But let me tell you, in 2011... I said Fright Night was the worst movie of the year. Um, So we'll fucking see how I feel about it. How Uh, old were you when you saw the first one? When I saw the first one? That's the thing. Only like a year before. Okay. Okay. I had seen Fright Night like a year before, and I was like, well, this is a perfect movie. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Connor, if this is the one week that you don't do the homework, I'm going to be so fucking mad at you. Um, Anyway, join us next week for the Fright Night episode. Um, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Connor, do you want to plug the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. At above the title pod. Um, 
Please tell a friend if you enjoy the show. Uh, we sincerely hope that the tag after strike ends soon in the favor of the guilds. Uh, I mean, Dan, it'll be over again, when you hear this. I know. <laughs> Dan, once again, thank you so much. This was a blast. And as always, uh, fuck. They call me hell. They call me Stacy. They call me hell. They call me Jane.